On this episode, we discuss Poker Face. Russell Crowe's tribute to the late, great Lady Gaga. <laughs> Someday that will be a joke. Yeah, and then it'll be I sad. Mean, I mean, dear God, I hope I go before her. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the Flophouse. I'm Dan McCoy. Hey, everybody. It's me, Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalen, and I couldn't be more excited that we're doing a live show on Sunday, April 2nd at 7.30 p.m. at the Bell House in Brooklyn talking about Battlefield Earth. Dan, what do we do on this Mm -hmm. podcast? (laughs) Well, this is a podcast where we watch a bad movie and then we talk about it. And um, for this episode, you— We uh, did that. I remember you saying, Elliot— Hey, uh, a listener said, why don't you check out this Russell Crowe movie, Poker Face? Mm -hmm. And uh, we thought, Russell (laughs) Crowe, he's not done a bad movie recently. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I, you know, he's a, he's an excellent actor who has made some confounding choices along the way. Dan, are you mad that Russell Crowe's going to hear this and get mad at you? I don't understand. (laughs) I mean, he might throw a phone at me. I don't know. That's fair, fair. I will say I'm kind of enjoying late career or mid career. I don't know how yes. old he's going to live. I don't want to. <laughs> he was one of the best things about Thor: Love and Thunder by a long Arg- yeah, shot. Yeah, arguably the only best thing. <laughs> um, wow. No, he's. I don't care. He can, okay, Marvel, come after me. <laughs> come after me, Thor. <laughs> Fictional character. Stuart, he's huge and he has a big hammer and he gets very mad. That's true. He's a Hemsworth, uh, much okay. like the Hemsworth well, that is in this I, movie, Poker Face. Uh-huh. I like that movie aged. more than Stuart, and I still thought Russell Crowe was probably he's the great. strongest. Oh, I so was, th- I, but I was thinking about that this morning about this movie that Russell Crowe. There was a point where it was like he people were like, "This is a great actor." Like this yeah. is like Russell Crowe in The Insider, Russell Crowe in Gladiator. As much as that's you know a movie that in retrospect is a n- much ado about nothing. Like Russell Crowe in The Quick and The Motherfucking Dead, dude. <laughs> yeah, like he's he's in a lot of really good stuff, and yet I feel like somehow Russell Crowe has gotten to the kind of the where Nicolas Cage was not too long ago in the public mind without going through a period of doing insane things, you know, without doing roles that are, that are, you know, bonkers or madness or anything like that. Or also his, like, his burly pal, Gerard Butler, (laughs) the Scottish (laughs) Russell Crowe. Like, I feel like as his career has, like, kind of gone, it's starting to rise back up again after taking a dip. And I think Crowe is, like, they're meeting each other maybe in the middle. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like they're in a lot of similar on the Butler Crow continuum, yeah, uh, yeah a, a barren crossroads. <laughs> but this was not only starring Russell Crowe. What, what was that fucking Russell, Russell Crowe movie where he was the angry guy driving a truck? What was that one? Uh, unhinged. That, that one, one was, was bonkers. Because like normally when you see Russell Crowe in a movie, you assume he's hinged. Yeah. This movie, he is absolutely not hinged. Yeah, I really, the hinges I, were not attached I properly mean, at the factory. If you're looking, if you're looking for just like <laughs> sort of a dumb and dirty thriller. That one was pretty fun. It's gross. Yeah. I've not seen but, that um, one. I've got to admit, I'm, I was good. unaware of, of Unhinged. Anyway. Well, imagine a trailer that uses like, uh, what was it? Like heart-shaped box, but like a slowed down version of heart-shaped box. I can't you're possibly like, imagine oh, that. Oh, man. How <laughs> could that possible happen? to imagine? It's beyond the realms of me, human creativity. Let me cue it up creativity. real quick. <laughs> um, 
But speaking of not hearing of things, uh, none of us had heard of Poker Face until it was recommended until to us. Until a listener is- whose name, I apologize, I should have written down, a listener got in touch with yeah. me on Twitter and said, you should do this movie, Poker Face. And I was like, Russell Crowe wrote it and directed yeah. it. And he stars and in it. And, and the and? plot sounds like there's a lot going on in it, which was the opposite of what actually happens in the movie. And most of the music is written by him as well. Yeah. this is uh, Russell Crowe is I a mean, real quadruple he's a quintuple threat he's an actor i can only a director, assume he painted writer, all music, the paintings and, in the fucking house <laughs> I'm and, gonna, and, the, and the final fifth threat is that the movie is not very good i'm gonna push back on there not not being a lot happening in the movie i think i think that the thing is not that there's not a lot happening in the movie it's that there are a lot of things happening that don't really connect up with one another in yes, any like, way. And, that... and the pace of it is very lackadaisical. So it's like, so yeah. when I read the plot of the movie, I was like, just the brief summary of it before we choose it, I was like, this movie is con- probably going to be pretty nutsy. Like there's so much stuff. But then watching it, it really feels mm-hmm. like Russell Crowe is like, now I'm going to do this. And now that is done. On to yeah. the next thing. And now that is done. And on to the next. And and the, None of the, we'll get to this in Final Judgments I stuff, but the movie the movie never really pushes the characters into mm-hmm. the place of darkness that it implies they're they're in at the beginning. There's so much stuff happening that instead of choosing a title that's been done many times before, that title being Poker Face, they should have chosen a different title that has been done before. They should have called this movie The Happening. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Especially because of the the theater that they all put on in the panic room, the small black box uh, theater <laughs> production. Yeah, I, we should we should make sure the audience knows this is not about the song Poker Face actually or about the TV show, the recent TV show Poker Face. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, lovely film. Uh, our pal John Hodgman appears on it. I'm told I've not seen that episode yet, but I'm uh, very excited. You've been to avoiding get to that episode, right? <laughs> We've just watched the first two. He's well, not be- in the first Because every, two. ever since you saw the episode of Mozart in the Jungle where he appears nude, you have been loath to turn on a John Hodgman show just in case you see more, yeah, Hodge, because- more Hodge man than you Hodge <laughs> I- bargained for. <laughs> because I fear that nothing can top it, Elliot. <laughs> I'll true. only be yeah. disappointed. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. He should have quit at that moment, like DiMaggio. Mm-hmm. No, I mean this movie. Like, I I get this weird feeling that Russell Crowe, bring, being the writer, director, star, is like, no, this is really a movie. This is like a character study about a man dealing with like oh. coming to terms with his own mortality. So I'm not going to give you the cheap genre thrills. <laughs> I'm going to put those true. off as long because as possible. Say what you will about this movie. If the if the if the measure of art is and, whether and the, we're about to and we're going to say a lot <laughs> of this movie, but say, say if the measure of art is how much the artist is communicating what's on their soul at the moment, then yeah. this is a masterpiece because that's clearly this is clearly stuff that is really weighing heavily on Russell Crowe. Now the way he communicates it is done poorly, uh, and in a way that in in refusing us those genre thrills is also extremely boring, but. You can tell that this is very important to him. That this is like that this is something he had he probably had to yeah. do. You know, because yeah. otherwise, why do it? If you don't have to make this movie, why bother making? It? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just enjoy your. You know, I assume. Nice I, want, home I mean, I'm assuming the wine Aust- cellar. <laughs> yeah, the, the I'm assuming the tax incentives from the Australian government were pretty good. Yeah, pretty yeah. probably pretty fantastic. And because this is the, the most like this is the most like uh, like. Uh, Australian extravagance you're going to see on screen. Like, yeah. 
they got a Hemsworth to be in it, and then they made them all like old looking. <laughs> that's, they put that's a, one of the they funniest put an old things Hemsworth. about it. We'll get, we'll, and they put a uh, and Chris Hemsworth's wife is in this too. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah Chris she's Hemsworth's the wife dealer. Is the is the poker dealer? We'll get to that. But the fact that they brought in Liam Hemsworth, who is supposed to be an old childhood friend of Russell Crowe, but he's twenty five years younger than, than Russell Crowe, so they, <laughs> so they put old makeup on him, which makes him look like an even younger man pretending to be an old man. <laughs> Not since Prometheus have I seen such mis guided old age makeup on an actor. <laughs> on an, another Australian. <laughs> on an, exactly, yeah. It doesn't get more Australian than, than Guy Pierce. Okay, so let's talk about what happens in this movie, guys. Okay, we start out, it's the 1970s, we're in Australia, we're introduced to a couple of teenage best friends, Jake and Drew, they're riding their bikes, they go to a lake, they go swimming, some other friends of theirs show up, we'll later learn that this is Mikey, Paul, and Alex, they play poker together, they love playing poker. I guess the cards didn't get wet when they were swimming in the old swimming hole. I don't know. Or maybe the friends brought the cards Ziploc bag, dude. That's the original uh, waterproof phone case. Yeah, I want to say, did you did you guys have the same problem I did with this opening, which is like, I thought, like, the kids were not particularly distinct enough uh, right away for me to, like, be like, oh, well, you know, I know the difference between all of these kids and I can't wait to see them as yes. adults. You yes, know, very much style. so. And yeah. I was like... I hope this is not that important because I don't know what's happening. And then I was like, thank God it wasn't important. <laughs> it wasn't important at all. It's, the, part, of the pro- part of the problem is that it's like, you know, ever since, what is it? Uh, the World's End. That ha- masterfully explains characters as kids. And mm-hmm. then later on you're like, okay, this is what's like. Ever since that, I can, like you have to at least get close to that level. Like, yeah. I mean, it doesn't do as good a job as it. In, in do, doing the same thing. Yeah. like And so they you don't know the kids' names, really. They play poker, and one of them, I guess it's Mikey? I'm not sure. I don't remember. He's like, oh, but I need some of that money to pay for my mom's medicine. And Jake goes, I'll give you $10 if you jump off this waterfall. And they're arguing about it. But before he can jump, an older kid shows up and starts bullying them. And only later in the, the movie did I piece together that must be uh, Paul's brother, Victor, who becomes yeah. the villain of the movie. And he bullies them, and instead of just stealing their money, he plays poker with Jake and loses and gets so mad that the kids all, the younger teens, run away by jumping off that waterfall. And uh, Jake goes, hey, you jumped to the waterfall. I'll give you that $10. And Mikey goes, ah, I stole it anyway. And they laugh and go all the way home. Okay, now, guys? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they may be rogues, but they're honorable. Yes, mm-hmm. and this and everything is shot in the glow of golden light. It is like, it is constantly... Mm-hmm. 5:56 p.m. when this is mm-hmm. when this is going on because now years later Jake has grown up into Russell Crowe and he is well as we'll learn terminally ill but he's also terminally sad he's a billionaire who is just kind of glumly walking through an art gallery having flashes of sad memories and of course when a middle-aged man is is being sad in an art gallery <laughs> there's only one thing that's going to happen a young woman is going to come up and say can I paint your portrait and submit it for a major portrait competition mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yep and uh, she, now this is this has come so far out of nowhere that and i was goes convinced nowhere. i was convinced until the last scene of the movie uh which by the way uh Stuart, takes place after the first credit of the film so, so I you hope might have that missed you saw it. it yeah Fuck. but um <laughs> <laughs> it does not come back into play. Like I was convinced this is such a bizarre out of nowhere thing that I'm like, oh, this is part of whatever scam is going to be run later on. Oh. Especially the fact that she was like getting him on camera saying his name. Like I'm like, oh, this has to play in somehow. No, say, Dan, Guys, what, you thought, what you thought was a clunky way of getting him into a con was just a clunky way of releasing exposition into the wild so uh, that he would say out loud what his name, age, and gambling profession is. <laughs> uh, Stuart, yes? Guys, 
Guys, I take a lot of heat on this podcast for stopping the movie early or not seeing the post-credit <laughs> scenes. But the thing is, I think that's just my elite mindset where I realize I know who's won this movie. I can leave early, maybe beat traffic. Oh, so, you're, so you watch movies the same way my dad would take us to baseball games? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Had, around the sixth or seventh inning, he'd go, well, time to go. We'll get home faster. We'll listen to the end on the radio. I'm like, I can wrap this up, Stu. maybe play a little bit of Sekiro at home. <laughs> Who won the movie? <laughs> Russell Crowe won okay. the movie. He did everything. Yeah, of course yeah, Russell Crowe won the movie. But, well, but he's dead at the end. Yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, yeah, yeah right. I'm so jealous. I mean, the ultimate win. They can't get him out. Adam anymore. He like, yeah, and true. he died rich, which, as you know, he brought he took it with him. You know, yeah, but, uh, he's left this veil of tears. Yeah, so exactly. I guess he yeah, did win. So the uh, and it, the flop house is in no way implying that death means winning or that you should chase or even no. yearn after death or anyway. What, Go we're, ahead we're, and fear the reaper. It's we're fine. just joking about it. Life is wonderful, and it's, some would say beautiful. Even even Roberto Benigni would say that. <laughs> and and you should you should hold on tight to it as much as you can. And if this moment rage, of li- rage if, against the dying, yeah. Of the and life. if this moment of life doesn't have to be beautiful, just wait because there's another one coming along, and it's going to be much better. So okay, moving on. Jake needs to be told this because Jake is sad, and he drives. For a long time while VOing about his life. And when I say he drives, I mean we see footage from outside of a car driving. We rarely see Russell Crowe inside of it. And he has a long VO about how he had these close childhood friends, but lately they've been pulling apart. Drew was his best friend. They, they played every kind of poker. And then for about 15 seconds, he just lists kinds of poker games. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. And eventually they invented the first online poker system. They got very rich. And they somehow turned that first online poker system into a computerized surveillance system of all phones, text, mm-hmm. and online data, which is called mm-hmm. Riffle. And that made uh-huh. them even richer. So they're now essentially villains at this point. Yeah. And, yeah. And no, that's a, that's an interesting thing about this movie as a whole. It, once we assemble our crew, like I'm like, do I like anyone? I mean, I don't no. think that I need to. I'm not one of those people. I sometimes it's very thrilling to watch a movie where I can, you know, disconnect my moral compass for a while and like watch an antihero. But they're none of them. But they're all like kind of charmless too they're like either yes. sad or seedy or, yeah. or like cruel it's, it's, i don't know it's, it's really asking a lot for us to now watch a movie about a, a very rich man worrying about mortality and his relationships without seeming to without really wanting to admit that he has done something very bad in mm-hmm. creating a tool that allows anyone yes. on earth to be tracked in every way possible and yeah. later on when he's like He's like, as a prank, we decided to use Riffle to go after you, and he found out information we shouldn't have known. It's like, no, no shit, dude. Like, no duh. <laughs> but anyway, Jake's philosophy of life, the thing is it's all about poker. Like all great men, he sees life as being about risk and betting and knowing when to walk away. And the only way that he can interact with this beautiful creation that God has made for us is through gambling and stakes and card game metaphors. So mm-hmm. Jake, he's going to a private mystical retreat like many aging billionaires. He has to he has to get right with God. Uh, we're this uh, aging Australian guru who I only found out later is played by Jack Thompson, who was the defense attorney in Breaker Morant, one of the truly great Australian movies, like just a fantastic mm. movie. Uh, he's he's this, uh, but in, since I didn't know that when I was watching it, I just thought he was a weirdly white uh, guru. Uh, he's, yeah. he, he's like, hmm, you're dying, aren't you, Jake? And he's like, yeah, I am. And Jake, oh, you're afraid of dying. You're afraid of dying. And they do some kind of 
ayahuasca-ish thing, but we don't actually yeah, see Jake do anything. some hallucinogenic thing. But yeah. all we see yeah. him actually do is kind of stare into the distance as everything gets trippy and echoey, and there's slowed down and shots he, of playing cards. he holds cards. a guitar. Yeah, he holds a, the guru, he holds a guitar. The guru plays sad harmonica, which if that was the minute the guru took out the harmonica, if I was Jake, I would be like, I'm out. I don't care how high I am or how, how, how much I'm no, wait, investing in the, my inner soul. I can do the part to piano man. Hold on. <laughs> mm-hmm. And... Uh, and Jake relives memories of his first wife dying in a car crash. And at the end of it, the guru hands, as all licensed gurus do, he hands him a case containing a drug and he says, hey, in small doses, this creates honesty in people, but in lethal, in large doses, it's lethal. So here's some poison. Thanks for joining us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, this is, I mean, well, I mean, he is implied it's like some people want to go out on their own terms. You know, he's like saying, if this is, if you don't, if, rather than pancreatic cancer, which is what we learned later that he has, like, yeah. if this is what you want. But it is such a, I mean, after a few false, uh, like, things that I thought were going to play into the movie and then didn't, finally, like, I was able to be like, well, this, the most obvious uh, thing that's going to come up later must come up later. The fact that this is poisonous and large dose. Yeah. Although, oddly, the fact that it is, I guess, a truth serum doesn't really come up like well, he doses his friends and I guess the idea is supposed to be that that's going to break things down a little bit but that doesn't really that's not really what happened. I mean it is kind no. of in that they do come clean about things but they probably would have done the same thing under the effects of alcohol and stress yeah. so and the well, promise and the of he money told them, he told them at that point oh I've poisoned you yeah that's <laughs> like, it he did, he, you're saying he didn't have to actually poison them he could have just gone through he just got, could have just yeah. said it yeah anyway this is I mean this is also a section where Clearly, again, this is very meaningful to Russell Crowe, but you're like, what am I watching? Why am I watching this This guy just yes. go through this this kind of vague ceremony? Anyway, Jake goes back to his high-rise Sydney apartment. He's got a view of the opera house and everything. Mm-hmm. His second yep. wife is taking uh, boxing I just like lessons. it when a movie places it for us, you know? <laughs> like, it really, yeah. It builds a world. Mm-hmm. And that world is called Australia. Uh, yep. so his, <laughs> there was a koala bear running around in the foreground. <laughs> There's probably a Hemsworth in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you know there's a Hemsworth in the woods somewhere. Uh, so his second wife is taking boxing lessons. She does not look happy with him. Maybe because he's been off ayahuasca for days, I don't know. And he has a teenage mm-hmm. daughter that he's fairly, he's clearly close to. And she comes up and asks him for a lot of money to buy an expensive denim jacket. And then she says she misses her mom and they bond over that. And then we get- And I gotta this- say, like, wouldn't she already have like a fucking- credit card or something? Why does she need cash cash? That seems wild. Because I, I, he's like, he's a tech guy. Like My guess, here's yeah. my guess, is he's one of those tech guys who no longer trusts technology. He's like, I know too much about how it's done. We're only using cash from now on. Like my Because uh-huh. he has piles of cash everywhere in his houses. Like he's all about bricks of well, cash. Also, just because he's wealthy doesn't mean that he wants his daughter to have like um, access to essentially unlimited funds. And That's also, true. and it's also probably a game of control and power that he wants the people in his life to have to come to him yeah, to ask for yeah. things. And yeah, mm. then he gets to be the Santa Claus who hands mm. stuff out, for, hands out goodies, and in exchange he gets and conquers the, of the Martians. <laughs> wow, you've <laughs> you've, you've met my dad. <laughs> And so uh, then we get a flashback montage of Jake talking to his lawyer, Sam, about setting up a financial trust. And Sam says the word trust 
like a billion times. And it's maybe mm-hmm. the least subtle thing in the movie, which is already <laughs> yeah, not yeah. subtle. He's just like, a trust. Well, with a trust, there's also a trust, a trust. I'm like, mm-hmm. He says it more w- times than Dave Mustaine does in that song on Cryptic <laughs> Writings. Is it called Trust? I believe it's called Trust, yeah. Um, he plays, uh, and uh, Jake plays with the truth serum case. He looks up some stuff on his computer and then his wife is mad at him and he gives. He goes, I'm sorry for whatever, which is maybe <laughs> like the worst mm. apology ever. Uh, he goes, I'm sorry. She goes, for what? And he goes, applied, we're needed. Um, Jake's friends, this is where the plot kicks in. They've been invited to a big poker Does night. Go on. This is where the plot lurches towards its next stage. Uh, <laughs> yeah. like, a, like a kind of uh, uh, a massive kind of uh, bestial behemoth, which has nothing but its <laughs> raw instincts and a sort of mating sense to drive it into one place, as in this James mm-hmm. Tiptree story I just finished reading the other night, uh, where these huge these monstrous kind of crustaceans are just slamming into a beach as they are driven mad by this mating call that they need and they're destroying a human colony on this alien planet because all they can see and, and care about is this this uh, hormonal burst that is forcing them to do this thing that will end with them dying and then so and creating another generation. That's what this movie is like. So anyway, yeah. Jake's uh, friend- <laughs> Wait, what, wait, what happens next in your story? Yeah, it's oh, a more interesting plot than- <laughs> in the story, Oh, it's really good. I mean, if it's the- <laughs> You'll, to find out, you'll don't don't take my word for it. Pick up her smoke oh. rose up forever by James Tiptree Jr. at your local library, maybe. Bam, 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 reading Rainbow. So mm-hmm. Jake's friends have been invited to this poker night, and they show up in the lobby's building. And now we see them growing up. There's Mikey, who is Liam Hemsworth, again twenty five years younger than Russell Crowe, but made up to look like an older version of himself. Looks like shit. He's <laughs> like, wearing like a, a poorly fitted uh, like uh, tracksuit. Yeah. He's got lines drawn on his face, you know. <laughs> That's the biggest sin for Stuart. <laughs> Get your tracksuit fitted. Come on. Who's well, your, I mean, like everybody your... else is wearing like suits and shit. Yeah. Like... yeah. Who's his tracksuit tailor? Fire that guy. And he's kind <laughs> of like a scruffy alcoholic. Uh, there's Paul, who's now a government minister. And as he walks in, there's just reporters being like, Paul, Paul, what about this report? And he's like, oh, I'm there to, I'm there to help, help people. I'm going to help the people what need it. Like it's the most generic mm-hmm. thing a politician could say. Yeah. And there's Alex, who is a writer, who we see – Kissing Jake's wife. Uh oh. And meanwhile, like kissing for like friends? No, not the kissing for like more than friends. I think they like like no each kidding. other. No kidding. Oh yeah. wow, an official couple. Yeah. Well, they're not an official couple. So it's, it's a kiss, a- kiss. <laughs> Was there a bang bang? <laughs> we do find out later there was at least one bang bang because we find okay. out later she's carrying his baby. Uh, so meanwhile, there's a mean oh. old man who's talking angrily to someone on the phone. In, in her belly, not like a sack okay, or something. Well. <laughs> That'd be crazy, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> okay. When sure. you said a dancer looking around the room to see what he would carry a baby in. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, that's, that seems convenient because then you get your hands free. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, yeah it's hands-free baby-carrying technology. You just keep it in your belly and your uterus <laughs> until it's ready to yeah, come you out. Gotta, you don't got to slop up a tote bag or something. <laughs> Ironically, you know who's got the best version of that? Marsupials. Okay. Thanks, Australia. Kangaroo. That baby comes uh, out real little, stick it ironic. in a pouch, set it and forget it, mm-hmm. don't think about it, and it pops out when mm-hmm. he can walk on his own. Marsupials, mm-hmm. you got it. You got the right idea. So let's hear it, everybody, for kangaroos. Hands off to you. The people mm-hmm. who finally figured out the perfect life hack to pregnancy. <laughs> All right. Oh, okay. So great. Uh, oh. So Sam, the lawyer, he's oh, and there's a mean old man who's talking angrily to someone on the phone at the bar. Sam at a bar somewhere. Uh, Sam, not Zay bars, a bar. If he was at Zay mm. bars, they'd say, "Excuse me, sir. People are trying to buy expensive cheese. Can you please step outside?" Yeah. It's it's hard for people to shop for whitefish while you are talking so <laughs> angrily on the phone. Uh, so <laughs> Sam, the lawyer, he goes, "Hey, Jake's friends, we're gonna go to the garage. You're each gonna take choose a luxury car from this garage, and then." You're going to race to Jake's seaside vacation house. But Mikey, because you've been drinking, I'm going to drive you. Uh, And 
Again, we watch these cars driving and racing around for a while. It is the least exciting race I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> and the slowest 90-minute movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for a movie, it's a movie that certainly feels long. It, it, you're in some kind of time dilation effect zone because it feels yeah. much longer than it is. Uh, meanwhile, Jake is flying out on a helicopter, and he is on the phone with someone we'll later learn is Drew, now played as an adult uh-huh. by the RZA. And uh, they're they're talking about how he's like— Favorite need- Australian actor. Mm. <laughs> yep, Canberra's own RZA. And uh, the— uh, Drew was like, you sure you want to do this? And he's like, it's time we had an honest conversation. And Jake gets- Man, you're fucking killing that accent. I'm just a man of three voices. My own voice, my voice Mm -hmm. slightly higher like this, and then an Australian Mm -hmm. voice. And Uh I'm going to ride those to the future. Snagglepuss. Snagglepuss. You snaggle? Uh, Exit, (laughs) stage left. You know, that's kind of snagglepussy. It's okay. It's all right. Yeah. I've been trying to do a King Candy from- uh, from Wreck-It Ralph a lot for my kids, and they are very critical about it. They're very mean in their criticisms of of my- It's basically just an Edwin, right? The, yes, the, it's Alan Tudyk doing Edwin, basically, mm. yeah. Um, the uh, So- uh, I, want, wa- I want some better, better. I can't do it. No, no that's not terrible, yeah. A man with a wooden leg. No, I can't do it. I've lost it. I, I, didn't, yeah. I barely had it in the first place. And that's the joke about the man, the name of the man's leg, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. What's the name of his other leg? Yeah, and it makes them laugh so much that they can float up to the ceiling mm-hmm. and bump their heads. Yeah. We're talking about Mary Poppins, too. You probably yeah. just know the horror parody, Scary Poppins, where, where she tries to kill the kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, the and of course the John Lithgow starring Harry and the Henderson's Poppins, mm-hmm. where a Bigfoot becomes a nanny. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so that's uh, also weirdly enough the porn version's name. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Harry's so, uh, spelled differently, but anyway. Yes, slightly. So Jake gets the house first. He sends the staff home except for a poker dealer named Penelope who's played by Elsa Pataki, Mrs. Chris Hemsworth, uh, uh-huh. and also Officer Nevis or whatever from the Fast and the Furious movies. Uh, and her, she is maybe the most needless character in the whole thing yes. because she just shows up to play poker and then leaves. It's an odd inclusion because, uh, I mean, like I was not as hung up on this as Audrey was, but I see her point. Like Audrey was like, why, if you're going to do this thing where the whole point is to, like, reconnect with these people or whatever, like, why are you bringing in an outside sort of point of focus in having a dealer, especially with, then when the movie, like, makes nothing of this character? Yeah. My guess is she is there. If I'm Jake, she's yeah. there to help throw. She's wearing a low-cut dress, and mm. she's she's dealing. She's there to help throw my guests, my best friends, off their guard by giving them something else to distract them so they don't notice that I have put a— Truth serum in their bloodstream. Yeah, yeah, and he makes a comment that they're gonna hit. They'll flirt with anything. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's still. And then they don't. It's I also, don't know. The, the, they don't like, flirt with her. Well, yeah. that's the other thing is that everyone talks about these guys as if they are. They're just the baddest of bad boys. They are naughty friends, and they're just so mm-hmm. they're rapscallions and rogues and blaggards. And uh, earlier, Jake's daughter is like, they're you know they're my disreputable uncles, and when they show up, they are. Fine. Like, there's nothing particularly like outrageous or entertaining yeah, like, or at, like uncouth about them. You know, like one guy has a possibly criminal sex tape out there. The other guy has a severe drug or alcohol problem, and the other guy just cheating on his friends with his friends. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's the Bunch like of in a way rogues. Yeah, but, like but barely. Expect- ro- like, yeah, that's. Well, like- I mean, those are all. Those are all crimes against other people, you know, their their sins uh, against other people. But at no point, they're never like, hey, hey, well, this, I mean, like, I guess Liam Hemsworth tells a story about having, like, a perennial abscess, and that's about as as wild <laughs> as their stories get. As, like, as like roguish as it is, it's like, it's like 
the people in like the purge universe who use that as a chance to like cheat on taxes. Yeah. 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 Th- yeah. They're not really making the most of their, their position as the like bad boys in the movie. Uh, and it's talking about roguish. If they touch someone, they don't absorb their memories, which would have really helped Jake if he could do that. Uh-huh. And it certainly would have helped uh, cement their status as rogues. Almost as much as if they went to the Savage Land and just did it with Magneto. <laughs> that's, that's a thing only rogues do, for sure. <laughs> so, uh, Paul, so, I mean, yeah, if you're, they, none of them have had any encounters with Zaladane, high priestess of the Savage Land. Anyway, uh, Paul— Dan, do you uh, have any rogue content for us here? Yeah. Uh, what do you know about rogue? Well, she calls people uh, sugar mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, they don't she's, do that. She's southern. They don't, yeah, yeah, none of them are in a, are in a, in a hands-free relationship with Gambit. Yeah, Sort of a, you know, a Bride of Frankenstein-style streak through their hair. Mm-hmm. Good, uh, very did good. She, uh, did she get that from Carol Danvers, like holding on to Carol Danvers too long? I don't long? think so, because Carol Danvers— Danvers had has blonde hair, but I don't yeah. know. Uh, and Dan, what else? Uh, no, because she had uh, it already. I think by the, before she went, when the original character of Rogue was presented as a much older woman, and then they kind of aged her down after Chris Claremont, I think, wanted to bring her in as a member of the X-Men, basically. Mm-hmm. So those first few appearances, she's drawn as an older woman. She already has that streak. So I think it was just there because she's supposed yeah. to be a, a woman in approaching middle age. You know, The same way that I noticed in the, in the mirror the other day that the kind of spotty grayness of my hair has now, is beginning to solidify into white bands above my ears, Reed Richards style. Nice. And I was like, yeah, I'm turning into Finally. a real Marvel character. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so up. Uh, yeah, go on. I, or do you want to talk more about Rogue? I, I've Dan? got nothing more about Rogue. I mean, I just, I, it's interesting that you say that. Like, all I remember her is like, uh-huh. she was the one that everyone who was like an X Men fan, like, who was like, a, a horny heterosexual dude of my age, like that was they all. They were all rogue fans. I mean, it's split basically. between Rogue, uh, Shadow Cat, and then the the cool dudes who like Badass Psylocke. Storm. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, because oh. there's also Psylocke. I feel like when I feel like the, yeah. the people who the people who are a little bit older than me were into Shadow Cat, and then the mm-hmm. people kids my age were like, ugh, like. I guess Rogue is the nice girl and Psylocke's the bad girl. And mm-hmm. Storm was, I mean, Storm was too much, too much of a queen already too much. to be, to be seen <laughs> as, a, as a romantic figure. Exactly. It was yeah. like the same way that like, there's, there's part of me that, uh, that is has always seen Angela Bassett as more of an like extra human kind of like super person <laughs> than someone yeah. who can who can like walk around and talk and eat things and have <laughs> you know be a real person you know it's like she's she's almost she she's too much on that godly level anyway that's why Angela Bassett should have played Storm all those years ago anyway yeah uh, Paul on the drive over he's talking to someone on the phone and he goes call off the plan the house isn't going to be empty I was wrong but whoever he's talking to says no it has to happen tonight we go to Jake's house. It's a super fancy, you know, billionaire technology house. There's a panic room. There's a fingerprint wall safe, all that stuff. We learn that Mikey has a gun with him. Mm-hmm. And everyone arrives and Jake gives his And Chekhov pops out of the woodwork to go, ah. <laughs> and goes, ah, ah. You're, you're, that is going to come into handy. I mean, that's not a Russian accent. But, you know, but, <laughs> but it's I'm, more fun. It's I'm, boycotting, I'm boycotting Russian accents right now. They know why. Okay. Oh, yeah. wow. so, so my Chekhov is going to sound like a like a cartoon German. Yeah. So, uh, like, well, pay attention to that gun. It's going to come in handy, according to me, Anton Chekhov. Oh, uh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind oh, of wow. ironic that a man who is best and most strongly about observing humans and creating believable characters is best remembered now for a structural trick. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how yeah. good he is. I was reading 
last year I reread uh, The Cherry Orchard, and I'm like, I forgot how funny this book, this play is, and I yeah. forgot, like it's such a beautiful play. This the, the like how a character walks in and within three lines you know who they are. That guy Chekhov, he's going places. Keep is your it because eye on him. he because he shows up and just says who he is and what his motivations are? Yeah, exactly. Just like in this movie. Yeah, it, 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 what, cool. I was like, it made me really sad because I was like, what if Anton Chekhov was writing today? Oh, they just bring him on to Marvel movies, and he'd just be there to like <laughs> punch up the character moments. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, when, yeah. No, no, no. Go on. Go on. Go what on. What were you say about Anton Chekhov? Let's hear it. No, Dan has some that's elaborate that's bit about me, Anton Chekhov rewriting Quantum Mania. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if the Pym particles are introduced in the first act, they have to be used uh-huh. in the third act, and uh-huh. they're like. Anton, you should use the pin particles all throughout the movie. It's kind of his thing. Like, don't hold back on point. it. Yes. Yeah. So I introduced that he has superpowers in Act 1, no. and then in Act 3, he'll use them. Just have him use them throughout the movie. No, no, no. For most of the movie, he's a normal man who mm-hmm. just goes to work and... He's a normal man. It does not make sense for Kang to be so super ripped. Why does he keep taking his shirt off? It's like, well, the thing is, Jonathan Majors got super ripped for what magazine dreams, and he looks incredible. <laughs> so that's so why we he need has to be now. shirtless throughout. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you'd think they would just shoot the lasers at his, un- his unarmored chest and not at the places Don't to have his face armor on in the future off. armor. Don't- you know, or, some things you just got a suspension of disbelief. We're you know, watching, t- you know, it's, we're it's, watching you know, TV so my today. Friends, my friends call me Ant-Man, but it's short for Anton. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so what you were saying? We were watching TV earlier today, and the uh, Creed Three trailer popped on, and there's a shot of Jonathan Majors with his shirt off that's, like, angled up, and then Charlene just goes, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing is, Jonathan Majors already looks like he's about 10 and a half feet tall. Like, it's, yeah. like, it, the, but anyway, the, uh, the, the that's why it, with in Lovecraft Country, I was like, this guy's not a science fiction fan. There's no way he grew up reading all these science <laughs> yeah, fiction is that, books. Is that nerd carrying books around? How'd he get so huge? <laughs> I, guess, I guess he's carrying the heaviest books in the world. That's why he's ripped. I guess he's not called Jonathan Miners. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay guys. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about Dan? They're doing a remake of The Major and the Minor, but with Jonathan Majors and, uh, and Really? And Jerry Minor. like a problematic uh, plot. <laughs> they changed the plot. They just It's okay. just the title. It's just it's not, the it's just, yeah. And the names of the actors, not even the <laughs> yeah. characters. That's nope. what, yeah. They're just they're also doing, IP. Yeah. I don't know if you, I don't know if you pay attention to the trades guys, but they're also doing a uh, a legacy sequel to Major League called Majors League where Jonathan Majors <laughs> makes his own baseball league. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's, I can't good. wait to see that. Yeah. Okay, so uh so, so the friends arrive and Jake gives his best buddy since childhood, a very subdued welcome as if they just saw each other yesterday. They drink wine, they toast to absent friends uh, because Drew is not there. And Jake goes, all right, here's the first, okay, pop quiz hot shots. Here's the first game. You can each keep the car you drove here. And they're like, that's a million dollar car. And I didn't know if they're talking about Australian dollars or American dollars. And it really bothers me through the whole movie. It has to be It's gotta be Australian dollars, dollars, right? And so he goes, that's a million dollar car. And he goes, you can either keep that car or trade it to me for $5 million in poker chips but I wasn't sure. Is he saying they all have to choose the chips? I know that if they yes. choose the chips, yeah. they yeah, have yeah, to yeah. play poker, and they all have to choose chips. And Alex is like, I don't know. I feel weird about it. But the other guys are totally into it. So they all do it, and they have more liquor and cigars, and they start playing poker, and, and it's very boring. I want to ask you something about this. Now, spoiler alert, this this gets yeah. interrupted later on. Well, the whole evening gets interrupted later on by Much the, like a girl, it gets interrupted, the, yeah. The home invasion. <laughs> Starring before, Angelina Jolie. But even <laughs> before— <laughs> yeah. Even before the home invasion, 
when the character played by Riza shows up, mm-hmm. uh, he's just like, I guess the poker game's over. And they're like, I guess so. And I'm like, wait, it is? Like, are they abandoning it? <laughs> like, what? Like, this seemed like a very important thing to Russell Crowe for some reason. And I never quite understood what the poker game was supposed to do in any I think, way. Well, my, so, it was, I mean, it was, supposed has, to, yeah. it was supposed to like loosen their inhibitions a little yes. bit. Do, the, do something familiar with them. Mm. It would be like, if I was trying to reconnect with my childhood friends, we'd be like, let's play a fucking, I don't know, Doomtown tournament and play with our little cowboy cards. But the thing is, they also, you would think that like, they make a big point of a couple of the characters, a couple of the guys are like, look, financially, I'm kind of fucked. So I, having this kind of money would be amazing. So when they like leave the table, I would like at least those characters to be like stressing about like, we need to get back to the table. I need to make this money. Like that's no, like those are no joke stakes. Yeah. Or especially for like Liam Hemsworth's character where he should, like you would think he would be like, he's already got impulse control issues theoretically because he has addiction issues. You would Mm -hmm. think he would be like, we got to get back to the table. I need, I'm going to win. I'm hot. That's what I don't get. The stakes, like I'm like, yeah, they never why? get to eat the steaks that I assume they <laughs> get preparing. Why are there so? Why so much money involved? Like, I would understand it if the implication was like Russell Crowe as like some sort of last act of revenge against these people as he's dying is like pitting them against each other for this money. But as we see at the end of the film, like he he treats them all well. <laughs> he like he yeah. leaves them all this money. I don't. I think I think you were supposed. I think we're supposed to believe. Here's the way I think this movie is supposed to work. We yeah. are supposed to believe that he is pitting his friends against each other that way, and he's mm. kind of toying with them and playing with them as some kind of revenge. And then yes. it's like. The movie seems to then be saying that he has a change of heart and wants to do good for them, but he's already set up the trust. Like it's already so the change of heart he said basically the character arc that you expect from the movie happened before the movie started. And so yeah. the whole movie is him playing a weird game with them. And you could say, if this was a better movie, it was a deeper movie, I would say, even in trying to do good by his friends, he can't help but make it a game of control and risk and domination. That he is mm-hmm rubbing their faces in how much he can afford to help them and how much they need that help and making them kind of go through his hoops in order to get that help, that there's still something in him that craves manipulation of other people that way. But instead, none of that is there. Like there's no, I'm I'm reading so deeply into something that's not there. And instead he's just like, and, and really what it is is that the movie is like poker segment over home invasion segment about to begin wait over yeah. here like it's literally when you're i was just on the universal studio tour and they're like okay we're entering the king kong ride we're going to talk about king kong for a little bit and now we play the king kong thing and now we're leaving the king kong thing and we're heading to jaws like that's what this feels like now i can't believe i'm about to say this but if you want to watch a movie that deals with a man who is coping with the end of his life and has his own control issues and make people play through crazy games, I would highly recommend the Saw series over this. <laughs> it really it does feel like it's one of the few times when you can say that Saw has more richly delved <laughs> into the topic than this movie, than this character study of friendship, you know? Uh, so uh, they're all playing poker. Meanwhile, these three crooks are sitting in a car waiting for something, and there's the mean old man we saw earlier uh, there's a refined art thief who's talking about how it's not just, it's about stealing the art and possessing it. And there's a and big bruiser that, who keeps the threatening with, the art thief. And the the art guy is uh, was one of the dudes with a shotgun in his hand from Upgrade? Yes. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and they're waiting to pull some kind of heist or something. We get more poker playing. Mikey and Jake somehow tie in a game of poker and have to share well, the pot do, between them. you can them. do that. If there's a split pot, if, 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 uh, if no one has the high 
hand. No, but they have they the just... exact same hand. They say it. They get the exact same hand of cards. They have in the different exact suits. same hand in different. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just it's a silly possible. thing to have. Odd. No, it's not. It is impo- silly. It's not okay. impossible, but it is silly. And because and it shows you that this is a movie that is going to pull every punch, I think, because it is not. it doesn't want to hurt either one of these characters. And mm. I feel like if this movie was serious about what it was doing, Mikey would lose that hand and realize the answer to my, all my problems supposedly just slipped through my fingers because my friend who's supposed to be helping me can't help but win, has to yeah. win against me. He can't yeah. lose, if it, if, even if it means I we get money. But instead, the movie's like, eh, we, it, it, Russell Crowe doesn't want to be a bad guy, I guess. No, it's so. true. Like, the only way this movie works is if it's a lot meaner Yes. Of a movie. Like, I mean, you know, obviously a a figure with a a lot of terrible things about him, uh, but Roman Polanski style, like psychological gamesmanship is what's needed here. And that's not what this is. Or if you, or if you want to talk about someone who's only, who's, who's, who's somewhat less problematic in their handling of other people, like Ingmar Bergman does this very well in movies where Mm. he just, he has characters pushing each other in subtle ways or in overt ways to their limits, you know, that, and Often not not even necessarily in that kind of overt kind of like manipulation game, but just yeah. because people people push people around and they use people, you know, in real life. And so, but there's just Russell Crowe just doesn't have the he doesn't have the the, the taste of blood to go yeah. after that sort of thing, you know. Uh, meanwhile, at home, uh, Jake's daughter finds blood irregularity tests, and was I seeing correctly that he had tests for everybody, like all of his friends yeah, and also like his family? <laughs> and she, what she sees upsets her, and she calls her stepmom, and her stepmom is like, I know you're upset because Jake had a vasectomy, it turns out. Well, and no, I mean, like, she starts talking about it, like, I think that what happens oh, is- does she think she found the stepmom's blood tests? The, no, I think that what happened is the daughter, like, she, the mother thinks that the daughter has found out that she's having an affair. Yes, yes. Then you're right. You're right. And and the mother is like, uh, you have to, you know, she starts telling the story like, you have to understand, like, I wanted to have another child sometime, and I found out that your dad like had this vasectomy without telling me, you know, and he just came home and and I just he had mentioned done Dan. This, this is two, two movie episodes in a row where you're spitting rhymes. Your dad had this vasectomy mm-hmm. without telling me, Dan. You yeah. you got to release an album. I'm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Um, but. <laughs> And then, like, the daughter cuts her off and is like, Dad's dying. He's got pancreatic cancer, which is, like, a shock to the mom. And she breaks down. She's like, I'm going to come to you. But the funny thing to me in that situation was it never gets back to the daughter being like, now, why were you telling me that vasectomy story? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) Like, there's a a dangling thread here that I'm curious about. (laughs) But you've explained it better. The stepmom thinks that the the daughter has found the – Proof that she's pregnant. Yeah. So they decide, yeah. she goes, I'll pick you up. We're going to head to the country house. There's more, more poker. All the guys are looking tense and sweaty. And it's edited together in this weird way where we see them looking calm and then it'll cut to a shot of them looking sweaty with their hair disheveled. And yeah. I was like, is that happening in their minds? Like, is he trying to yeah. illustrate their emotional sense? But no, it's just jumping around in time. And uh, one of the staff members that Jake sent home, he's ambushed on the road and kidnapped by the crooks. And that's when Jake's security system goes bling, and he sends the lawyer Sam to investigate. Uh oh, we think for a moment there's crooks in the house. It's just Drew, the missing friend. Riz Yay! is here, and uh, Jake sends Penelope home because once Drew is here, the game is over. Yeah, this was odd to me, by the way. Like the dealer again, not used in the film for any particular purpose. She goes into what like looks like a closet to like change out of it's her like a locker dress. room. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like she like. She, rich people house are crazy. We see her like locker rooms. back and her back tattoo is she's like taking her top off and then she's like 
fondling some money on a shelf. She's like, oh, there's, she sees in, in a there's cl- money she finds in here. In a case, like piles of money. And I was like, is that her payment or is that money that's kind of come in handy? And I think it's just that Russell Crowe just has stacks of money all over his I house. think yeah. that that's it too. Like, because it doesn't seem like she's like, oh, I'm taking this money. She's like, oh, look, there's this money. And, and again, makes me think like, is this setting it up that she's going to take this money that is needed later on? No, this is just nothing. Like she disappears from the film having mm-hmm. I mean, done nothing or said it, nothing, anything of here's, here's import. My, here's exactly you know? what I think happened. I think this is why she's in the movie that – Russell Crowe said to Liam Hemsworth, he goes, hey, I've got a surprise for you. And he goes, what? I'll show you on the first day of shooting. And they show up. And then he brings her out and he goes, I, I, I cast your wife in the movie too. And Liam Hemsworth is like, that's my brother's wife. Did you get me mixed up with my brother, Chris? And Russell Crowe goes, uh, it's a joke. It's a joke. Oh, boy. I got to feel- <laughs> Hold on a second. This was a mistake. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. You know, You're I thought Thor right. was showing up at the movie. I can't tell the Hemsworths apart. And mm-hmm. and Russell Crowe's casting director is like, I told you there was more than one Hemsworth. <laughs> but anyway, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, but she leaves. It's 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 a pointless yeah, goes, moment. More than one of that perfect man? <laughs> <laughs> Impossible. This is how we all felt watching The Social Network until we learned the truth about Army Hammer. But uh, so the uh, here's I will say for a moment that is totally unnecessary. Seeing her in that room, you don't see any. There's no nudity in it, but seeing her unzipping her dress and then seeing that money in the case is a moment of like um, real kind of seaminess and sleaziness yeah. that hints at a more interesting and kind of like more thrilling movie and a movie that, yeah. that has more going on in it, a darker yep. movie. Uh, so it's it's both a completely unnecessary moment and possibly the, the most evocative moment in the entire movie. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Drew's there and they go, okay, game's over. Drew goes, hey, everybody, we used our secrets, our super secret spy software that we sell <laughs> to governments. As a prank, we used it to spy on all of you and we discovered your real problems. And Jake reveals, he goes, I've poisoned everyone's drinks tonight because I'm dying of cancer. Now we're on the same level. And Mikey goes, well, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm an alcoholic. I was going to shoot myself tonight. And Alex goes, I've been having an affair with your wife and she's pregnant with my baby. And Paul goes, I'm being blackmailed. There's a sex tape of me out and I ran out of money. So the crooks demanded I give you the give them the information about your house and so they could rob it. And here's what I think is funny. He doesn't know the code to the house because the crooks have to get the code in the movie. So what did he tell them? That Jake has a house and gave them the yeah, address? Like yeah. what information did he give them? I don't know. Yeah. Well, also, I just find everyone's reactions in this scene utterly bizarre because no like they really take the fact that they've been poisoned pretty well. They seem yes. like yeah. a little like Shocked and saddened. By I mean, no I will say, like I, I will say, threatening him, like crying, no like asking hysterical. for a, uh, an, anic- an-, an antidote, not anecdote. Give me an anecdote. Uh, anecdote to yeah. explain why while, it happened, I, yeah. while I'm dying, you know, eases me into the other life with something humorous. That hey, happened hey, to well, you. well, well, while I'm dying, can you tell me about the time that you had lunch at a table next to John Lewis? <laughs> I've just always loved that story. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. For another perspective on this, Dan, when I was—I know you watched the movies with Audrey. I was watching this with the famous Stoic philosopher Epictetus, and he oh, was like, okay. "They're doing it right. They're doing it exactly right. You learn that mm-hmm. you've been poisoned, and you just take that information and you just accept it and you move on with your life." And I was like, "Really, Epictetus? I would think that even if you were poisoned, you'd have a bigger reaction." And he goes, "If I did, then you should just take all my books and throw them in the garbage because I'm <laughs> uh-huh. a hypocrite." Yeah, yeah, he said, "Try me, bro." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then Hippocrates came out, and it was, uh, it was like, did you ask for me? And he said, no, I said hypocrite. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that's exactly, yeah. And so 
I hang out with a lot of ancient Greeks. Anyway, so um, and ancient Romans. So the uh, uh, the crooks, meanwhile, so they take that information pretty well, and they give up their secret information. And Jake takes that secret information pretty well. And why wouldn't he? he knows it already from Riffle. Yeah, he knows it all. Yeah. And meanwhile, outside, the crooks are threatening the staff member. It's a very dumbly complicated scene where Penelope drives out, and the gate is open for a little bit, and it's starting to close and they're like give us the code to the gate and the staff member's like no no they're asking for the code to the gate and he says no he won't give them the code to the gate and then penelope drives out which leaves the gate open and then closing and they shove him in between the gate well, and the post and they say tell us the code or else the gate will kill you and he tells them the code just a little too late and gets impaled yeah they're they're like stop the gate by standing there and he's like it'll crush me it'll it would crush your car and so then they threaten him with the crushing and I did think it was kind of funny that he gives them the number just a little too late and gets crushed yeah. anyway because you know if if I'm in that situation that would happen to me I'm just gonna give him the fucking code. You give him the code right away yeah who it's the not fuck worth cares it. yeah. yeah it's not worth it but also like. Why don't they just run in while the gate's open? Yes, like, what that's the what fuck I was wondering. Why do they have to bring their car in? Why couldn't they? Ca- since they're there to steal art, the why couldn't guns they carry are the art? <laughs> There's no. I they're mean, not yeah, connected they, to the car. <laughs> well, that's the thing. They are. They are connected to the car because by by long string by long strings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, I thought they were they were electric powered guns, and they happen to be powered mm-hmm. by the car's no, no, they, battery. Earlier in the earlier, this is a deleted scene. Earlier, the the, the kind of big muscly guy is like, "Don't worry, I want to make sure we don't lose our guns." So I tied them to the car. <laughs> good thinking. Good thinking. Lou. Good thinking. Good thinking, Rocky. Good thinking. So, uh, so the uh, and we learn that the crook who is also blackmailing Paul is his older brother, Victor. And then Jake reveals, I didn't give you enough poison to kill you, just to loosen you up. Uh, anyway, uh, and Chill anyway, out, man. we know you're all screw-ups, and that's why uh, when we gave you shares in Riffle a long time ago and you sold them instantly, that's why it was Drew's idea to secretly hold back some shares that are still in your name. $25 million in poker chips. There's actually the shares you own in Riffle, this evil covert software that we're Uh talking about as if it was just any other type of product and not a hugely problematic thing for the main character to have invented. Yeah, something that dilutes any possible sympathy you have for this dying man. Yes. I mean, he already he's a billionaire, so already you're like, okay, time for the guillotine, bud. But when you find (laughs) out that he's also actively hurting the world even more, you're like, man— Get him out of here. You're like, oh, I'm glad that the hero is helping the Spanish government to arrest Catalan protesters by, by spying on their mm-hmm. phones and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I hope this guy shits himself to death. <laughs> so, Dan, you look like you're about to defend Russell Crowe. What were you going to say? Uh, or Jake, his character. Or billionaires. Uh, you never or know. billionaires in general. I, know, I mean, like, obviously, if you have more money that, that you can use to that degree, you should do something with it. I don't inherently, like— I mean, I'd go as far as to say, if if you've made a billion dollars, you've done something bad to somebody. No, that's probably true. But no, I'm more uh, just baffled by, like, I guess this was all a way to tell them about these shares. Like, the poker game was just like, surprise, the stuff that you thought you were, you know, winner take all. It's just these shares. I don't know. It is not clear still to me what the whole point of any of it was. I think the movie was, this is a movie that was adapted from the scene in the Treehouse of horror with the evil crusty doll. When the, when the, the, the man who, uh, who owns the magic shop is like, you can buy this doll. Because uh, the doll has is cursed. That's that's bad news. But it comes with free Frogurt. That's good news. 
The fro- yeah. <laughs> the fro- the, uh, the, the Froger is also cursed. That's bad news, <laughs> but it comes with your choice of toppings. That's good news. The toppings contain sodium benzoate. <laughs> uh, I just want to go now. Just like throughout the movie, Russell, Jack, Jake is being like, hey, good news. You get this car. Bad news. You got to play poker with me. Good news. It, it's a lot of money. Bad news. I poisoned you and I'm dying. Good news. I left you a lot of money. Bad yeah. news. There's crooks here. And you're just like, I don't, what is, again, like, what is this game you're playing? It's not a fun yeah. game. I don't understand that. <laughs> it's and, not uh, heads up. <laughs> no, it's not heads up. The game everybody loves. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank like, you, substitute. Yeah, like, I will why, play. Why, <laughs> why, his friends are like, why couldn't we have just played apples to apples? Everybody wins. Let's just get. So, let's do some Jackbox stuff. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> just throw a fucking Jackbox game on. <laughs> break open the Jackbox. Yeah. Come on. So anyway, uh, why, it goes Jake. I thought we were gonna play Cranium tonight. <laughs> so the, the, I sw- uh, again, like. I, I, I always think it's funny when, like, one friend in this story, like, a bunch of childhood friends, one guy's a zillionaire, and all his friends are all, like, you know, various levels of success. And, mm-hmm. like, I, I always think back, I'm like, if my childhood friends and I all met up, they're, they're not my friends anymore. But if they were, like, <laughs> we would just play, like, Warhammer or some shit, and I don't know, they would probably drug me. <laughs> I wouldn't die because I'm built different. I think yeah, we yeah. all know that. Yeah, of course. You're because you're one, of God, you're one of God's chosen, and he wouldn't let that happen. Uh, so he'd send an angel in the form of a magic fairy to ma- mm-hmm. magic the poison out of your system. Yeah, mm-hmm. Thank so you. The, the crooks and the fairy would, of course, die with the effort, but would know that she had sacrificed her life to save again God's chosen. So it'd yeah, be fine, true hero, know? yeah. Yeah, uh, so the crooks show up. The art and uh, and the art thief is additionally disappointed in Jake's art collection, and he says this thing Australian is, I, art. They make a point of saying Australian. Australian, that's true. His except for the one big painting we'll find later, all of his art is Australian. And he goes, he goes. I didn't know it was Aboriginal art. This is very hard to sell. The buyer has to connect spiritually with the piece, which is such a funny way for the art thief to be set up complimenting Jake as a character. That like, oh yeah, he must. He has a deep soul. He's spiritually but, connected to this yeah. art. Yeah, but then there's like a, a, a scene of like he goes through a bunch of stuff. He's like, "Oh, this is a million dollars. This is a million. like he like goes through a bunch of it, and like the the thing turns into like this weird antiques roadshow for like yes. a moment. Mm-hmm. Yes, like- for for a while, it's them pricing art and him just explaining <laughs> that. I mean, if it, this is the one saving grace of the movie is that it introduced me to a number of Australian painters I'd never heard of before, and kind <laughs> of basically what they do. And I was like, maybe I'll look up some of these. That like I, that this is. It almost feels like the Australian uh, government board was like, we need someone to make a film telling people about the wonders yeah. of Australian painting. And Russell Crowe's like, uh-huh. I'll do it, and then turn it into this movie. <laughs> it and needs at least 10% art content. <laughs> it, needs, it needs at least seven minutes of people naming Australian painters. Yeah, yeah I mean, if I'm going to watch something from a tourism board, I'd, I guess I'd rather watch this than those fucking Qatar ads that keep showing up where I'm like, oh, I don't think this is accurately representing the situation there. Yeah, I don't. I'm not. Don't know the ones you mean, but I'm. I'm I can probably imagine them. They, they they're the ones that talk about all the migrant laborers that die in the construction of the buildings, right? <laughs> it's or, weird that they talk about that in the ads. Or that yeah. tourism ad we watched, Infinity Pool. That was pretty. Yeah, my good. favorite tourism <laughs> yeah. ad, Infinity Pool. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very fun. That's the thing I always imagine with uh, David Cronenberg is that every time the Canadian Film Board watches one of his movies or one of his his, his the other Cronenberg's movies, that they're like, 
You did it to us again. Once again, you <laughs> promised it would be a Canadian tourism movie, and you gave us this thing and about people <laughs> strange, like, making their bodies all weird. <laughs> they're, they're, like, they're like, all right. And then Cronenberg cackles like an elf, and he disappears. <laughs> he goes, okay, guys. He goes, okay, we're here together to watch uh, the new David Cronenberg movie. I know we've been bit before, but he promised us that this one, Land of Timber, will really talk about our natural resources. Of course, he had to change the title to Crimes of the future he says but okay let's watch it <laughs> and then when it's over they're just like god damn it Kronenberg. we got Kronenberg again uh, he goes you know. he goes there's only one solution we got to make it so that canada's big new industry is surgery performance art hey eh? that's the only way we're going to be able to make oh, I this, guess. justify this Mm. I guess surgery's the new sex, eh? <laughs> I guess surgery's, I guess that's our new Canadian Tourism Board slogan, surgery's the new sex. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you slip into oh, Irish so, uh, every once in a while. Yeah, okay. So maybe, well, uh, maybe Celine, eh? Why don't you drop some bars on this one? <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of people of Irish descent in Canada. I can, I'll, I'll play it off that way. So yeah. um, they walk around pricing art for a long time. Jake and the others see them on the security cameras and run to Jake's panic room where they all criticize where Jake Where they don't for not have, have a phone. They don't have a phone, and they criticize Jake for not having any guns. And they're like, how do you not have any guns? It's a panic room. Why don't you have guns? And they just – that's all they care about. And I'm like, what is this, an American movie? They're so obsessed with guns. Again, Russell Crowe makes a good point. He's like, I have the panic room, so I don't need guns. But you do need a goddamn phone in there, Russell, to call the cops. That's the number one. Yeah, so you can call fucking love lines. You're going to be bored in there. (laughs) You can call love line and ask Dr. Drew what's (laughs) – what what about your problem? And he's going to say some bullshit because he's a fucking hack. Yeah, Yeah, you you can call into the request line <laughs> yeah it's like i guess i want i want to hear what a minute works on <laughs> what do they listen midnight oil what do they listen yeah, down there we're gonna solve the short circuit two style i'm gonna call a request for help me Rhonda, and then maybe hope someone gets the message yeah although i do love the idea of him using a phone he goes now this is a one-use phone it's a burner we got to use it he calls up a radio station is like yeah i want to hear safety dance and then hangs up <laughs> So uh, the crooks realize that the house isn't empty because there's all this half-drunk wine sitting around and cigars. Victor, the lead crook, he does what you everyone would do, picks up someone else's cigar that their gross mouth has been on and starts mm-hmm. smoking it and an, and, a, and a glass of wine and starts drinking that too because he's apparently a toddler who just picks stuff up and puts it in his mouth. Dan, mm-hmm. what were you going to say? Well, I, I also want to say this is a part that baffled me because like, when they first come into the house, they keep they keep being like, Oh, it seems like someone's here or like someone's here. Like when they like first, I mean, I guess by this point, uh, I don't know. Is the wife there yet? I don't even no, remember. No, she yet. hasn't shown up yet. Okay. Yet. But like, yeah, they're like, it seems like someone's here and they've been told that he's going to be there. Yeah. Yes. The guy Paul who- has told Victor there's going to be people at the house. Jake will be at the house. I but found then this so Victor strange. still as surprised, yeah. I can understand if Victor didn't tell the other crooks, that he's like, we're doing this heist, I'm not going to tell them. But even Victor acts surprised, which is yeah. weird. But then he knows they're there. He starts demanding Jake come out of the panic room. And that's when the art specialist, he puts two and two together with some clues that the bru- the bruiser crook tells him about, a painting about a man in a funny hat smoking a pipe. Mm-hmm. And he realizes there's a Cezanne in Jake's kitchen, mm. and it's a $200 million painting. And he keeps saying, that's a $200 million painting. He's like, the kind of people that have paintings like that are not the kind of people that you want to fuck over. And, uh, Which and he, I kind of like that element, because it is like a moment where he's like, I'm in over my head, because yes. that kind of money, like, that's an erase you kind of money. If you don't even consider Consider the fact that the guy made his money uh, figuring out all your information. <laughs> or consider the fact that, like, as someone points out later on, like, fine art is a 
is a hard thing to fence at yeah, that yeah. level. Like, or consider these, the lilies. They neither spin nor do they weave. <laughs> mm-hmm. But these crooks who like come into like a billionaire's home and immediately like they like they're unmasked. Like, yes. these are not the people. These are not they're the not, geniuses. I don't even know if they're wearing gloves gonna, while they're walking around to there. Yeah. Like, this, yeah, they are. It's it's so they're acting so dumb the whole time. Yeah. yeah that in fact he's like he's like steal me that saison, and it's like people know what saisons there are and who owns them. Like it's not. Yeah. Like they're not valuable comic books. There's not like a, a hundred copies of this Cezanne in existence. Like yeah. so anyway, it's a it's all it's it's <sighs> not a well thought through heist. But no. I guess very few art heists are. It's it's it happens a lot that I mean it used to happen more, I guess, where famous paintings would be stolen from museums and then disappear because they could not be fenced. Or if they were fenced, mm-hmm. they were so privately done. And that's why like those paintings get destroyed because yeah. they don't want to be caught with them. And they're it's it's it stinks. I know there was a Winslow Homer painting that disappeared a long time ago. There's like a they, uh, the scream has been stolen multiple times, and it's like, yeah, why would you steal one of the most recognizable paintings in the world? Like that's nuts. And why would you why would you have the, the Mona Lisa at your house when it's just going to get dude. destroyed by I Janelle mean, Monet? <laughs> I guess at least with the scream, there are multiple that one. There are true. There are multiple the screams. Yeah. <laughs> I feel yeah. like if you go to any boardwalk, you can get like a shirt with it on it. Yeah, yeah but that's not <laughs> that's quite right. the same They're as having the place. original. Yeah, it's. Oh uh, no! It's, it's, it's can you put the fucking original on your body yeah, and protect true. you from the elements? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that way you get to enjoy it's better as a two shirt. great yeah. works of art: the scream and Stuart's torso. At the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, if Stuart's what wearing a combination. It. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, I'll have to cut the sleeves off. Did we agree? Well, well I, I mean, imagine that, that that's and the midriff still too. I imagine leave. you're cutting the midriff also. Unless yeah. it's a full bleed copy <laughs> of the scream on your shirt, <laughs> and all and it over, probably won't affect the actual image. So God that's damn, fine. all over I mean, print the, shit is so dope. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, you don't need the scream on your shirt because people are gonna scream when they see those abs too. That's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. know. I'm a 42 year old man, almost 43, and if I I have understood that somebody at my age that has abs has to be a fucking psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> or 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 works in pornography. One of those two things. Mm-hmm. And also those are not mutually exclusive also. Okay, so, uh, Dan, were you going to say something about abs? Uh, yeah, I was going to say something about abs, but then I realized it's just going to be retelling an anecdote that I heard on Blank Check. So I'm like, I'm not going <laughs> to steal their content. Just go listen to Blank Check. And That's fair. Just, Let's talk yeah, about- yeah, just search... Abs. Abs plus <laughs> blank check. <laughs> oh, look at these photos. <laughs> yeah, just fucking ask Jeeves about it. I don't yeah. care. Yeah, ask Jeeves. Just it. ask him whatever Jeeves, you want. Jeeves will, Jeeves will wake up from his thousand-year slumber. And- <laughs> By the, while you're doing it, ask Jeeves about, you know, the birds and the bees because I don't want to have that, that talk with you. No, no, you don't want to hear about, hear about that on the streets. You want to hear about that from Jeeves. His, if, if Kazuo Ishiguro has taught me anything, it's that, uh, it's that an English butler is going to be able to explain this kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> with highly <the> sensitivity. sexual. <laughs> yeah, highly sexual. Yeah. Oh, I'm surprised anything was remain. Anything remained in that day after after he spent himself like that. <laughs> anyway, so uh, and Shadowlands, etc. So Jake's wife and daughter they show up at the house. They fight the bad guys pretty well. Jake's yeah, pretty good. The, the wife I was gets hoping a lot that she would beat their ass because, way worse. Yeah, because like they do introduce her doing some pretty intense like uh, boxing boxing training. Yeah. yeah. 
So I was hoping that she would just like pound the shit out of him and they would eventually subdue her. But like, it, she doesn't really, like for all the hits she gets in, it doesn't really affect anything. No, that's true. I mean, Victor has a metal face apparently. So it, the punches mm-hmm. don't hurt him that much. But but again, oh, our friend Anton is here. Guys, did you notice how they introduced her boxing in the first act and oh, now did, she's yeah, good yeah. at punching in the face in uh-huh. the third yeah, act? Really that's just good off. writing. That's just good writing. Oh, okay. That's why I say Anton Chekhov. It's the only, th- and in fact, it's the only way to judge good writing. If that uh-huh. happens, it's good writing. If it doesn't happen, it's not good writing. Okay. I mean, the ironic Thanks. thing is Anton Chekhov introduces plenty of things in his in his plays that don't pay off exactly <laughs> by the end of it. It's almost uh-huh. like we shouldn't. Take, oh, like we when should... uh, when he introduces uh, Ray, and then you find out that she doesn't have important parents or something. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, oh, it's crazy. It's it's almost like we shouldn't take one of the greatest writers in in literature, uh, just a, just a supreme observer of human behavior and boil him down to a rule that doesn't have to be followed. Yeah. Single anyway, aphorism. A sing, yeah, single one. So uh, single aphorism, also the name of my jazz album. So Jake <laughs> tries, he tries to hold off the baddies with Mikey's gun, uh, even though it only has one bullet in it. Uh, and Victor sends the other two crooks to get the Cezanne. And Jake starts psyching out Victor by saying, hey, I poisoned my friends with the wine glasses and you've ingested that poison also. And to sell the tale, he talks about how he poisoned Alex so that his second wife will get very mad about it. And he goes, you need the antidote and it's in that safe. And he go, and while Jake opens the safe to get the antidote, his friends go up to the darkened kitchen and just uh-huh. prepare to ambush these crooks and fight them in the dark because they have gone from being so scared they need to hide in the panic room to being like, I guess we'll just beat them up. I guess seeing Jake's wife and daughter almost defeat these crooks has made them realize <laughs> it's not as not the threat they thought it was. Yeah. Uh, Jake fills a syringe with what he said is the anecdote, and Victor takes it from him and Ant- jabs it again, in his own leg. A- antidote. If he filled a syringe with yeah. an anecdote. Oh, yeah. Again. If he filled it with an anecdote, you just have a story about a celebrity meet, uh, you know, celebrity introduction in your bloodstream, and that's Elliot it. and I uh, fell victim to, I think, the same thing, which is that anecdote is a word that we say frequently in in normal life whereas antidote we've been fortunate enough to not have to, <laughs> to say to not have to yeah unless i'm acting out the best scene from indiana jones and the temple of doom i find myself yeah. not saying antidote that much uh, so jake uh fills this he so victor seals the syringe and slams it in his leg and goes now you can die of poison fucker or whatever and then runs away not <laughs> falling for the easiest trick in the history yeah. of tricks he's he's of course given himself a lethal dose of the truth serum he stumbles off and dies outside for some reason sprawled out like Christ on the cross, like in that uh-huh. pose. Uh, and I sent these guys, of course, I like to say other- like Joker surrounded by knives, but that's fine. You can, mm-hmm. yours sure, sure. works too. Yeah, and- uh, the, Whoever your uh, Messiah is. <laughs> yeah, whether you worship Jesus or the Joker. Uh, and I mean, it really wasn't Jesus the original Joker with his, uh, with his, so. his that, that bit about the prodigal son and all that. So uh, the, the uh, and I sent to Dan and Stuart, I texted them the other day a, a picture of a, uh, yeah. a stretchy Hulk toy that my son has that is also mm-hmm. in the Christ on the cross yeah. pose for some reason. So I think we're overusing that pose. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. and low, may the meek be Joker-fied. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, and when, uh, when, when, uh, if, it, when, uh, when when Hulk Christ said, "If thine eye offends me, if I offends thee, smash it out." <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I come not with a I come with a, with a sword because I'm the strongest there is. Anyway, so forth. So the art thief in the in the battle, he fires his shotgun and is horrified to learn the only thing he's harmed is that Cezanne. He's just filled it full of holes. And the boys are are rough and tumble boys. They overwhelm the other two crooks. Jake unties the ladies, and we cut to. Our final VO, which goes on for a long time, where Jake is like, 
life is a game. You got to play it right. And he says this sentence that is so confusingly oh, worded. Yes. I had to I had to rewind it a couple times to make sure did I you had write heard it down this because- I did write it down. Yes, he says. So, Dan, do you want to try to re- recreate it from memory or no? Uh, I mean, he he basically says the simplest idea that you yes. can, which is basically like you you affect other people in your life. You can't not affect other people, but yes. he does it through such a web of, <laughs> as I did the second time around, double negatives and clauses. And uh, please, so lay this it on is what us. he says. And again, I rewound twice so I could hear this three times to understand to so I can make <laughs> sure it was as as weirdly phrased as those. He says. I've never been misguided in understanding that the way we've created opportunity for ourselves hasn't had an effect on the lives of others, which is like, hold on a second, let's break <laughs> it down. So I've never been misguided, okay, uh-huh. in understanding. So that the I haven't had put, illusions. I so haven't far. had illusions. No one has ever said something I've never like he what he wants to say is I guess like I've never been under the impression that what I do doesn't affect others. Like Dan said, yeah. I've never been misguided in understanding that the way we've created opportunity, I've, it's, I think that's the part that hasn't had an effect on a lot. So I was like, is he, so does he think he, wait, so he does understand uh, that he doesn't affect or he's never I been misguided think, in thinking that it's, it's a, it's just such a, it's such a confusingly worded way of saying a very clearly stated thing. I think that thing. this is the admission that uh, you've been waiting for perhaps that he's like, Look, I know that our company is bad. Is like evil, that we, yeah. Like I've had a lot of success and I've had success for my friends, but like I I I'm aware that we have done bad along the way. But again, yeah, the weirdest way of putting that. I've never been misguided in understanding that the way we've created opportunity for ourselves hasn't had an effect on the lives of others. It's just like it's like he's daring you to misunderstand what he's saying. I mean, yeah. I think that this is like a Nixonian sort of mix, mistakes were made kind of like I'm going to admit that I'm at fault but in a very passive way. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a but I, it's very, I, I, okay, I'll give you that one. And so the, uh, so the other characters now meet for a reading of Jake's will, re- realize that this word salad is his last will and testament. <laughs> it's being read oh, to wow, them. what a legacy. <laughs> Seems like he could have re- revised it a few times if it was a no, document, but. No, he got it perfect the first time. And he goes through all of them. And because, of course, big hearted Jake, the man who. <laughs> tortured who, everyone. It, it tortured everyone. He gave, he gives half his money to charities. He says, including charities about gambling addiction. So I'm, I'm, you know, it's like, you know, when, when the Koch brothers are like, I know we're destroying democracy, but we are going to endow the New York Ballet Company with, with a new set of costumes. So we did okay. Um, and the rest is apportioned out to his friends. He has some, he has some, uh, requirements. Paul has to leave politics. Mikey has to go to rehab, but in exchange, they get, what is it, $25 million or something like that, or $50 million? And yeah. the rest of the money goes to his daughter. Uh, and, and he also has set up a trust for all of Alex and his wife's future children. And they smile at each other like, yeah. And it's such, it's just a weird moment. And uh, he leaves them with a sermon. The, the camera goes off into the waves uh, as if trying to escape the film as the <laughs> VO goes into a sermon about friendship and you got to forgive imperfections and so forth. And... We finally get to the credits, and after the first credit, Dan, there's that mid-credit scene. What happens yeah. in it? Uh, we see uh, that woman from the beginning what? who wanted to paint a picture of Russell Crowe. And wait, and Stuart, wait, so Stuart, you didn't see this scene like normally with the mid-credit scenes, or did you? What happened? Okay, so Stuart, I want you to get. Stuart, I want you to. I want if you didn't watch it, I want you to guess. Should I what close happens. my? Should I close my eyes? 
It, what? Uh, yeah. So close your eyes we, and visualize it. What happens in this mid credit scene? We sunrise on a, <laughs> on Pebble Beach. Okay, what? interesting. We, th- we think Victor was dead, but his hand stirs. <laughs> He's not dead. We have a sequel. Uh-huh. Uh, so, Dan, is that what happens? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I don't know why Stuart would guess that since I already introduced the idea of the <laughs> portrait lady from the beginning. But I still don't, have no idea whether Stuart saw this or not. But anyway, uh, she has won the portrait contest. <laughs> she painted a portrait of Russell Crowe and she won Russell the big Crow contest. Looking sad as he looked at art. Uh, I mean, like, just his face. But that's, we know that's face. what... Guys, and the picture is okay. It's fine. Dan, Dan, you can't tell if I'm being serious or not. Would you say that I have a... Poker face. Yeah. I, I, well, now that you've suggested that I say it, I would say that. <laughs> I, I don't know if I would have done it on my own. But. And so we have, and so again, just like our friend Anton Chekhov would have demanded, the woman yeah. introduced in the beginning is brought back at the end to book it. And it's one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, not only does Russell, not only is Russell Crowe, the, his character, I guess the greatest big-hearted man in the history of the yeah. world, he is also a beautiful work of art that will mm-hmm. inspire generations mm-hmm. yeah. to come. Yeah, now he has become the art that he so loves. Yeah, yeah. now he belongs to the ages. <laughs> <laughs> what if it was, now he's become the art he so loves, but it's more of a Twilight Zone ending, and he's banging on the inside <laughs> of the painting going, no, no, I'm trapped. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's like so a, funny that I, I ended up doing an inadvertent double feature with this and The Fablements. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's so funny to see two movies that are like ostensibly about somebody life or what the, like the way they view their legacy <laughs> one of them amazing one of them not as much yeah you i wonder which was which yeah <laughs> one of them features david lynch yeah. in a surprising role oh that was what a what a wonderful and here's the thing okay and i guess for anyone who hasn't seen the fablemans this is kind of a, a spoiler but to see there's something about seeing david lynch appearing in that movie in a small role that is perfect because it's like right not only to Spielberg and David Lynch, who would seemingly be the opposing sides of the filmmaker spectrum, not only do they exist in the same world, but they ex- they operated at the same time in the same filmmaking world, and mm. I'm sure have known each other for some time. And like, it's such a great it, that moment. It was like it made me realize, like, oh yeah, Lynch has been part like for an experimental filmmaker is a real part of the mainstream in a wonderful way. People know who he is; they know at least some of his movies. Mm-hmm. And Spielberg, for being maybe the most mainstream director there is is someone who is a real artist, the way that Lynch yeah. It was like such I, a great moment of being like, believe, yeah, these guys are not that different, you know? I, I kind of can't believe that uh, David Lynch was the second choice for the role, the first being, of course, Michael Bay was going to play that character. <laughs> <laughs> now, that, now that would have been a different story. I don't know if that would have worked quite as well, but I love um, also that whenever David Lynch is in a movie, he plays it the exact same way, which is just to shout his lines as loudly as possible. <laughs> and that beautiful flat voice of his. Yeah. Oh, I love what it a treasure. so much. What a, what a treasure. Um, hey, why don't we do our final judgments, whether this is a good, yeah, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie we kind of like. Uh, this is what I'll say about Poker Face. It is definitely a bad, bad movie. Um, I don't think anyone needs to see it at all, but it wasn't, <laughs> but it wasn't interesting. But for me to have seen it. Consign it to oblivion. Yeah. <laughs> for me to have seen it, I found it interesting just because I'm like, this is such a bizarre cavalcade of... Like what? Like I don't understand how anyone thought this was a a movie, <laughs> especially someone like Russell Crowe who's worked for so long. Well, like, it, it shows. It shows. It feels very student filmy. That is, it, it is a clearly heartfelt kind of who knows how autobiographical depiction of his feelings. And yeah, it is. A sto- and, and from a story perspective, and in some ways from a technical perspective, it just doesn't 
work. It feels it like someone who has never made a movie before. Yeah. Yeah. It's, just, like, and it's not I even kept, the first movie he's directed, I think. Yeah. And I, I texted you guys like partway through. I'm like, I am would love to, like, I'm waiting for this movie to figure out what it is. And it never does. Like, it never <laughs> seems to settle down into like, oh, okay, I know why this movie was made. Like, I have no idea what yeah. really the thinking was, like, why this story was the story. So, yeah. uh, bad, bad, but interesting. <laughs> it's, I think it's, it's, I will also say bad, bad, yeah, but interesting to future biographers of Russell Crowe. I feel like it's, it's, he's, he's, unless I'm wrong, it really feels like he's putting his soul on celluloid and just, you know, failing yeah. to really communicate. I mean, but yeah, exactly. I feel a little bad at a certain level because I'm like, it seems like a passion project, I guess. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a cer- I think there's a certain charm to the fact that it's it seems like a passion project. And if you are like, okay, I'm writing a fucking paper on Russell Crowe. I need to figure it all out. <laughs> but I do love the idea that you're like, I don't know why this was made, you know, in an age where streaming services are killing people's access to movies. And there's still so many movies that aren't even available physical. Why mm-hmm. can I watch Poker Face whenever? <laughs> but I can't, I have like... Ken Russell's The Devils was only recently made available to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but that's sometimes movies mean different things. Sometimes a movie is there to excite you with an exciting story. Sometimes it's there to touch your heart. And sometimes it's just there to be a sort of Russelletta stone that just uh, yeah. helps you decode what's going on inside Russell Crowe at the moment. Yeah. Okay, zebras, uh, orangutans. Oh, yes, sorry. Hi. I'm not used to the animals talking. Uh, Who are you? Yes, my name is Carrie Poppy. I co-host a podcast called Ona Ross and Carrie. This is my co-host Ross right here. Okay. We investigate spirituality, claims of the paranormal, and we were wondering if we could get on the ark. You did come two by two. I Thank appreciate you. that. Though most of the things I'm letting on the ark don't talk. I'm going to be talking all up on this boat. Do you mind both? I prefer ark. Or okay, barge. I'm not listening, but. If you let me on, mm-hmm. then I will make my really good podcast on your boat. Can you barge. at least help clean up all the poop? I guess I don't see why not. Well, I'll check out the podcast. Where do I find it? It's on MaximumFun.org. Oh my gosh, hi. I'm Dave Holmes, host of the pop culture trivia podcast, Troubled Waters. On Troubled Waters, we play games like motivational speeches. And it goes a little like this. Riley, give us an improvised motivational speech why people should listen and subscribe to Troubled Waters. I look around this ad and I see a lot of potential to listen to comedians such as Jackie Johnson and Josh Gondelman, and they need you to get out there and listen to them attempt to figure out sound Rebus clues or determine if something is a Game of Thrones character or a city in Wales. I have chills. I'm going to give you 15 points. All that and so much more on Troubled Waters. Find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you choose to listen to podcasts. Hey there, Stuart here, and I am here with my wife, Charlene, who is going to talk to you about an upcoming super fun event at our bar, Minis. Hi, everyone. I want to invite you to our event at Minis this coming Tuesday, Valentine's Day. It is all gender speed friending. It's all the fun of speed dating without the threat of hooking up. So this is not a coupling event. It's just for making new friends. And that is going to be this Tuesday, February 14th at 7 p.m., hosted by our very own in-house drag queen, Jizabella, and that's Minnie's Bar, Sunset Park, uh, right near the 36th Street uh, end stop. Let us move along to uh, advertisements from our sponsors. We have them. They're very kind. Well, I mean, they pay us, but uh, we, we, we have a nice symbiotic relationship where we 
talk about their great products and they give us money. And let me talk about one great product, which is uh, microdose gummies from Lumi Labs, a product that you know perhaps uh, the usage of which makes it difficult to uh, segue into ads, but makes my life better. I just love I love that you were like they give us money and we talk about their products, and then when you go into the product that is maybe the most personal to you. <laughs> Our show today is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. Microdose these, these, Gummies. These morons give us money, and then we talk about them. Anyway, so my mom says. Like, <laughs> um, no, no, no. They're, they're great. What do we, I'm, oh, oh, boy. What trouble am I getting us into? Our show today is sponsored by Microdose Gummies. Microdose Gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Um, maybe you've had a stressful day, uh, like Stuart so often does and uh, you need to turn off your brain. Yeah, just need to calm down, wind down. Calm at the down. End of the day. Take a gummy, watch Ricky O, the story of Ricky, and uh-huh. drift off to yep. sleep. Yep. Perhaps that sounds like a beautiful day to you. Yeah, you can be sounds- Stuart in your home home mm-hmm. with these microdose That's how you do it. gummies. Now, just uh, for the record, Lumi Labs is is would like us to talk about microdose gummies. Lumi Labs has no opinion on Ricky O, the story of Ricky. It's not necessary <laughs> for the use of their product. Well, it's well, not well, necessary, now but I'm rethinking sponsorship. That <laughs> It's another symbiotic relationship. I think that Riccio and Microdose Gummies uh, enhance one another. Okay. But uh, Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code FLOP, F-L-O-P, to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Links can be found in the show's description. But again, that is microdose.com, code FLOP. I had uh, someone... Uh, mildly confused uh, the other day saying that microdose.com slash flop directs you to nowhere. That's, uh, yeah, that's that's true. It doesn't. That's a different a different sponsor. Has, you can't, has the there's, slash no, flop. there's no slash. Just go to microdose.com and when they ask you for an offer code, use F-L-O-P. Hey guys, y'all heard of the internet? Because I have. And one of the best parts of the internet <laughs> <Okay>. are websites. <laughs> <laughs> Right? I mean, Everybody loves websites. He hasn't said anything incorrect up till <laughs> yeah, now. Where's yeah, where's the line? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't miss. Uh, and uh, our sponsor today is Squarespace, and Squarespace helps you with websites. They're an all-in-one platform for building your brand online and growing that business. You have business that's online, you got to have a website, and Squarespace is the way to do that. You can stand out with a beautiful website, not just a piece of crap. You can get a really good one. (laughs) You can engage with your audience, sell anything you want, like products, content you create, even your time. Your time's valuable. Why don't you get paid for it? So you can sell your products on an online store. You can sell physical or digital products, all kinds of stuff. Uh, You can create pro-level videos effortlessly. That's right. We're professionals. We will say the stuff you can make is our level of quality. Uh, (laughs) Or higher. Higher than the level of quality. Probably higher. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you can display posts from your social media profiles on your website. That's right. You can cross post. You don't have to be like Stuart and Dan hurriedly messaging each other pictures so we can all uh, share them on our various socials. <laughs> you can do it all in one place on Squarespace. So head to squarespace.com slash flop for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code flop. That's F-L-O-P to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey guys, we want one last thing we want to tell you about. I mentioned it at the top of the show and I'm going to mention it now slightly longer. That's right. The Flophouse is once again coming right to your door 
if you live at the Bell House in Brooklyn, New York. We're going to be there Sunday, April 2nd. It's our first live show in a while. Sunday, April 2nd, 7.30 p.m., we're going to be talking about Battlefield Earth. That's right. It's a classic bad movie. We're going to talk about it. And because it's a live show, it means we're not just sitting behind a table talking about a movie. We'll also be standing up and talking to you, first in the form of presentations that you'll only see if you go to the show. Each of us will do, as always, an original PowerPoint presentation. Those are very funny. People like them. They're really fun. I know what my presentation is going to be about. I think you're going to like it. And, Dan, do you know what yours is going to be about? Uh, I don't, I have an idea for part of it, for an element. I got to say, like, maybe it's just because it's something different than what we normally do on the show. I really love doing these presentations. It's it's kind of a pain to put the PowerPoint together as as any wor- work is, any effort, but it all pays off and just a lot of fun on stage. I mean, and, and uh, they, it's super fun. And anyone who saw our Masters of the Universe live remote show saw Dan's Mustards of the Universe presentation. <laughs> Give you a taste of how beautiful it can be. So then we're going to talk about the movie and then we're going to take questions questions and answers from you, the audience. So it's Sunday, April 2nd, 7.30 p.m. in Brooklyn at the Bell House, our old stomping grounds, talking Battlefield Earth. Buy tickets now. They're at www.thebellhouseny.com. And look up in the calendar, and we'll be there. It's going to be great, and it's happening right before Passover, so I'm going to be in that Passover spirit. I'm going to be extra (laughs) excited. Yeah, that you're not going to have plagues visited upon you. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I would be the one visiting the plagues on others. I don't know if you're familiar with how that what the Jews do in that story, but it's uh, you know, oh. we're the, the plagues were on our behalf. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, but there's a middleman. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they're for you, but you didn't ask for the plagues per se. No, that's I not mean, true. It's not what we asked to be free from the Pharaoh, and and God yeah. decided that the cl- the quickest way to do that would be to throw a bunch of frogs and blood and stuff at the, mm-hmm. at the Pharaoh. Yeah, sure. Pull a uh, P.T. Anderson and throw some. Fl- Frogs at the problem. That was what it was that God had seen Magnolia and was like, that's what I should do to free the Hebrews. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, are we ready to move on or do you have anything else, Elliot? No, that's all. I could okay. I could talk about Maniac of New York. Don't call it a comeback number one, which is in comic stores now. But Good I issue. Might not be a, liked it. it. Thank you. It might Who be knows? sold out by now. But stay tuned because issue be. two is going to come out too. All right. Well, then we'll move along to letters from listeners like you. This first letter is from Russell, last name withheld. Uh-oh. <laughs> Russell Crowe. Oh, no. Good day, mates. I wanted <laughs> I to, to like tell you about movie. my movie, Poker Face. I hope you like it. I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Cheers and kisses. Big fan, Russell Crowe. feels good in a place like this. <laughs> he's trying to get oh, you to man. go back to the theaters to watch up. Poker yeah. Face. Yeah. Oh, um, I, can't, I mean, I got to tell you, as much as people make fun of that that little video, it was so it was so I was so happy to see it after the 25 minutes of trailers that were before my screening of Megan that I went to. <laughs> that I was like, oh, this tells me that it's going to be the movie's going to start soon. Good. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, this is from Russell, who writes: Which romantic comedy do you think goes furthest to depict a really fucked up, unhealthy relationship as charming and sweet? Is it simply love actually, or is it something slightly subtler like failure to launch? Stay safe and awesome, <laughs> Russell. Uh, I feel like we can't, re- like, love actually is filled with so many bad examples of relationships. Yeah. We should probably take that one off the table, right? Yeah. It's, it's no, throwing off the curve. Yeah, it throws yeah. off the curve. Yeah. Although I will say that, so Audrey always likes to know what the questions are. She's curious. She's curious like a cat. Mm-hmm. Um, and she Dana's was married to a cat. Yeah, I'm married to a cat. I married a cat uh, <laughs> coming this fall. Um, but we we were hard pressed to find we were harder pressed to find a rom com that shows like a 
good this relationship. Is exactly yeah, there what I was there say. is one. It's called Pretty Woman. Because <laughs> uh, it's about least- a, it's about a generous gray haired daddy. I mean, it makes sense to me. <laughs> who who doesn't mind that his his love interest has a career outside of their relationship? Thank uh, you. That, but it's it's true. I started researching this, and I was like, I had tr- I was like, I'm starting to think that there aren't any romantic comedies that don't have toxic, unhealthy relationships. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that a large part of it is the the comedy comes from like mishaps in the relationships and and like like cute bickering and a lot of those things the mishaps and the cute bickering when transferred to real life would be pretty unpleasant. Like well, also I, and and the way relationships tend to work in life, not always, but tend to work is you meet someone, there's a mutual yeah. attraction, you continue to get to know them, you you fall you a relationship grows and that's it. Whereas movies are all about there's got to be like someone wants someone else and there's an arc to the plot and they've got it. It's a challenge yeah. they've got to overcome yeah. or something is keeping them apart. And usually it's e- the easiest version of that is just that they're already in relationships or whatever. Like the natural relationship does not have like a, a dramatically interesting arc, which is why they're wonderful. <laughs> like it's so one of the things that makes them so all, good. You're saying all rom-coms are bad. So let me see. The big <laughs> sick, huh? Somebody... <laughs> Uh, what? <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying they're bad movies, but I'm saying, but even that, like, even even if that is somewhat based in reality, the idea that, like, wasn't isn't it adorable how you kind of pretended you were my boyfriend while I was in the hospital? I mean, it's the same. To be honest, it's it's just a real life version of of uh, while you were while sleeping. sleeping. Uh huh. I just watched <laughs> yeah. that. What a Chicago <laughs> movie! But even then, it's like, oh, I found the man of my dreams, and all I had to do was pretend that his comatose brother was my fiance. Like it's yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, like we're talking, like we're going through, like okay, four weddings and a funeral. Like they hook up a couple times, but she has a secret like fiance mm-hmm. and then like the third wedding is hers uh-huh. and then like that breaks up and like but by that time he's like involved in like a sham like almost married like the fourth wedding is getting like and that breaks up and like this sounds horrible and then like we're like okay uh sleepless in seattle like meg ryan basically like kind of stalks a guy right? and like stalks him <laughs> and like the, the thing that makes him like her the perfect woman is that she peels an apple like uh, tom hanks's dead wife like that's not something to build a relationship on and then like yeah, what is this birth with nicole kidman come on never mm-hmm. never been kissed she's pretending to be a high schooler <laughs> or even if you go back and it, it doesn't matter how far back you because you go to like the shop around the corner where the whole idea is that they hate each other during the day, but they're pen yeah. pals who love each other, and they and you know that's it, it, it. There's no. It's, I mean, I love his girl Friday, but it's all about manipulation and like. I mean, I don't. Even, I wouldn't necessarily call that a romantic comedy. That's a, because there's there's a romance in it, but it is a woman yeah. being being essentially gaslit by the man in her life. <laughs> yeah, because she's too valuable a, a reporter to like Yeah, not even because he loves her that much, but just yeah. because she's just too good to leave employment at the at the newspaper. But once again, a man who doesn't care that his wife, had, that his love interest has a career. So, you know, that's that's a positive yeah, thing. Yeah. You know? so, that's, thanks for selling it to me. I will Stuart. say, <laughs> as is often the case, maybe don't take your life lessons from the movies. Yeah, mm. never. Um, and, and here's the other the other thing I was gonna say about rom coms. Yeah. Like, before we go, is it's similar. Sure. And is that rom coms teach you to never take no for an answer from a perspective uh, of love interest, yeah. which is to ter- take no for an answer. Go find someone yeah. else. Don't don't convince them that they should love you. That's not how love works. Like, ugh, yeah, terrible. Uh, Phil Lasting withheld writes, Dear Dan, Stewart, and Elliot, I've been listening to the Flophouse for years now. Thank you. And one and one of my favorite <laughs> reoccurring joke structures is the Airbud. There's no rule that says a dog can't play, play basketball riff. It turns out that that line, and indeed the whole plot of the movie, Airbud, is a sham. 
I was watching Wait, old- wait, it's not based on a true story. <laughs> There's, wait, there's no dog in it? What's, where's this going to go? Uh, I was watching old Looney Tunes episodes on HBO Max the other night. Well, you rest, can. Rest, rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, how long is this Enjoy letter? it while it's there. <laughs> Ugh, what a terrible. Uh, anyway, and came across a 1954 episode I'd never seen before go- called Gone Batty. In it, an underdog oh. baseball team is getting clobbered by their opponents, and everyone on the team is struck out. Rather than forfeit the game, the team sends in their mascot, a live elephant. When the opposing team complains, the referee pulls out a rule book and declares, there's nothing in the rule book that says an elephant elephant can't play baseball. The rat bastard writers of Airbud fully ripped off this Looney Tunes episode uh-huh. for the plot of their 90s children's movie. Can't believe they did it. My question, <laughs> and they would have gotten away with it too, if not for Philip. My question to the three of you is: What are the most egregious examples that you can remember of movies just wholesale stealing major plot points from older films? Flaptastically yours, Phil. Last name withheld. The first thing that came to my mind was not egregious because they like hang a lampshade on it. They call it out, but I I, I like how uh, in office space they're just like yeah we're just running the scam from uh superman three where they <laughs> take all the rounded up uh rounded down pennies and uh deposit them yeah them. i mean if we're t- and if we're talking about rom-coms we can talk about 10 things i hate about you that just rips off shakespeare right well, Those so rat here's, bastards. The, here's the thing here's the thing i wanted some clarification from phil do they mean stealing a whole plot which is i would say a plot it, of a good movie. I think well, a I was, plot well, but I would point. Because or plot points. Because I, I again researching this, I was like, I, sometimes I'll go online, I'll research just to create ideas in my head. And there yeah. are things that were like these great movies were stolen from other movies. And it'd be like Taxi Driver and The Searchers. And it's like, okay, right. well, there's there's a difference between a movie being inspired by and taking the framework of another movie or the themes of another movie and reinterpreting it. That's how art works. Like there's yeah. the, the same way that there are there are multiple paintings that are takes on pre-existing paintings, you know. So or the, the I mean even in cases where one of them I saw was Yojimbo and A Fistful of Dollars which the movie was like that's why Akira Kurosawa wrote a letter to Sergio Leone saying you you made a good movie but it's my movie. Like that was my movie and you just remade it. But the uh so I wonder if there's if there's something about stealing plot points and Dan's not going to be happy with me. But the one Uh-oh. that came to mind right off the bat was that Tobey Maguire scene in Babylon where I was like, wow, they've <laughs> yeah. got the chutzpah to rip off the Alfred Molina scene in Boogie Nights, a movie that is not old enough for them to just be like, and eh, nobody's going to realize we're just taking this from another movie, yeah. you know? I mean, no, it's true, but – on the other hand, they did add an alligator to it. That's true. They did add, they added an alligator. So, that's fair. Yeah, that's the rule. If yeah, you add an alligator, but, you get away with anything. I don't know if you heard uh, on the when they're making Boogie Nights, they're like, "Should we have an alligator here?" And they're like, "I don't know." Alfred's insisting we have this alligator in the scene, but they end up cutting it just mm-hmm. due to cost reasons because yeah. they were going to use this complicated animatronic uh, alligator <laughs> that wears sunglasses. <laughs> it's just too that, expensive, it, yeah. Yeah, and it was repurposed for Lyle Lyle Crocodile many years later. Uh, yeah. 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 They said we have to make a movie using only props that only exist in the warehouse right now. Oh, mm-hmm. this is animatronic alligator. It says never been used. Property of PTA. What, what <laughs> does that mean? Uh well, do you have any? Yeah, Sorry. I don't know. Like uh I don't know, like the Raid and Dread. Who knows? They're both <laughs> great movies. They're very yeah. similar. <laughs> Watch them both. They're awesome. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, it seems like we're running out of steam on this letter. So well, I will say, well, I'll say, roll one, right the, in. And the other one that came to mind was, except, is that movie The Island, which was, which was, the which Clonus, was, which was horror. so sued by the makers of parts, The Clonus Horror, because it was, yeah. it was such a ripoff of it. But yeah, that's, uh, but again, that's more of a like, 
I'm, I'm, I want to think about this again for another for the future, like movies that that steal like a plot point where it's like, oh wait, I saw them do this in this other movie, you know? Yeah, yeah, and I know mean, it exists. That does often feel more like if you take a whole plot, you have to reinvent it, or else people are just gonna say like, oh, this is just the same thing. Whereas it does sometimes weirdly feel more egregious if it's just a plot point because people will borrow a thing and you're just like, well, I've seen this before this way. Couldn't you have done it a different way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's this, um, there's a movie called, uh, there's a Japanese samurai movie called Kill that there's one point where I was like, wait a minute, I saw this movie before, but it's- I've seen they, people they, get killed in movies. <laughs> they, mm-hmm. take, they take the plot from a movie called Three Outlaw Samurai, I think it was, and they just kind mm-hmm. of insert it for a couple scenes into that movie and have the main character of Kill get involved. And there's part of me that was like, that's pretty funny. Like if you if you're making if you're making a movie and you just take us a, a the plot of a recent movie and just kind of stick it in your movie and have your character screw it up, like that's that's a funny way to do it. Elliot, yeah. I now realize that when you say the main character of Kill, you ju- you just meant like the main character who is in the movie Kill. But yeah. for half a second, I thought you're saying that the main character is called Kill. <laughs> like the main character of Kill did this thing. <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, yeah, Captain Kill shows up and yeah. <laughs> okay, uh recommendations. Movies oh, that yeah. we saw, enjoyed. I'm going to recommend Do we I'm enjoy gonna, movies? I'm going to I'm actually going to jump in cuz oh, Dan and I first. before we get sure. to individual recommendations, uh I just want to throw out uh a, a group recommendation. Dan and I got the opportunity to see a special secret screening of the movie The People's Joker. Mm-hmm. Uh, a movie that was, uh, what was it, Toronto? It played yeah, at TIFF. Yeah, played once and then, and then was pulled. <clears throat> then got pulled and hit with a bunch of uh, legal bullshit from Warner Brothers. Uh, and so we were both, when we got the opportunity to see it, thanks to Flophouse listener Peter, you know you're, you know who you are. Uh, it was, it, I really didn't know what to expect, but I was really excited to see it because, you know, it's one of these, like, movies that you can't really see, and there was a lot of positive buzz. And I feel like the posi- positive buzz did not prepare me for really how good it was. Uh, it has kind of like a manic, almost Tim and Eric energy mm-hmm. and also the energy from being a movie made by a bunch of talented weirdos who kind of collectively put this thing together all under the helmsmanship, I'm sure, of Vera Drew, the people's joker. Uh, and it manages to also, despite how like wacky and silly it is, it manages to also be like a very like uh, touching narrative. Yeah. Touching like emotional uh, queer coming of age story. Uh, And it was really great. And it's like, it's crazy to me that Warner brothers doesn't just buy it and put it on HBO max. Yeah. And it's, well, and it's mapped so cleverly to, uh, uh, you know, years and years of different iterations of Batman. Like it is both this like heartfelt, uh, queer coming of age comedy, and it is like, like a, a nerdy movie too, and it's yeah, it, an like, examination of, of like on screen Batman through the years. Yeah, it's a very interesting movie and a lot of fun. <laughs> but does it have the da 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 da? Hey, da 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 song mm. in it? Uh, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. Wait, what's so. wait? He's talking about the the the. Gary Glitter, Joker. When he's walking down the, down the stairs. Oh, that, that was this. So I hadn't seen the movie Joker yet, and I, but I mm-hmm. saw on Twitter someone like posting that scene and saying like, "Oh, one of the most glorious moments in film." That I never played it with the sound on, and then I finally played it with the sound on once, and that song played, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, so this is a joke? Like, there's no way they use that song in this moment in the movie. That would be stupid." And then I watched the movie, and I was like, "What? <laughs> like, yeah. I thought that was a parody." <laughs> like, <laughs> 
I thought it was like yeah. when they when they take the dance scene in Back to the Future and they have him playing death metal. Like I thought that's what it was. Yeah, but, yeah. But I really yeah. hope to see the People's Joker. I've heard nothing but good things yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah, I'm really hoping if if you have an opportunity to see it, I highly recommend uh, checking that. Yeah, as mm-hmm. recommendations go, maybe not the most useful one right now because you probably can't see it. But what little weight the Flophouse has, like we say, it falls under fair use and yeah. parody, so it should be viewable. So. so- Take, Take that, that lawyers. <laughs> yep. As someone as someone who who owns a certain uh, certain amounts of IP myself, I am on the fence about it. But uh-huh. as a as a as a movie goer, I'm saying release that film. As someone who owns the rights to a comic book character, I'm saying I want to learn more about the case. But you know, <laughs> that's that's me being selfish. Um. Okay. So back to other recommendations. Back to life. Back to reality. Yeah. Another film that Stuart and I saw together. Sorry, Elliot. I'm. I feel like we're making you real jealous now. Yeah, you are. Uh, we went out and saw. I wasn't ready to be this jelly. Yeah. <laughs> Inf- Infinity Pool on Ooh. Friday night. Uh, Brandon Cronenberg, uh, David Cronenberg's son, continuing uh, the family scam of stealing money from the Canadian Film Board <laughs> with weird, weird ass <laughs> movies. Uh, I really, I you know, this is a tough one because, like, I if you, if this is not for you, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. This well, is- and and we also we saw the baby version that's R rated, not mm-hmm. the full not the, sicko version that played it. That Sundance. apparently has footage of Alexander Sarsgaard ejaculating God on camera. Fucking damn it! Now I get to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is yeah, this is a tough one because like it's it's not for everyone. Not most movies are not for everyone, but this even but more this so. One especially, it sounds like. Uh, yeah. But. I really enjoyed it. I don't like I knew very little going in, but I did know the I did end up learning the basic plot and I don't even really want to give that. I I'll give the start to the basic plot, which is just wealthy uh couple or at least one of them, the wife is wealthy, the husband is sort of a hanger on uh on vacation encountering another wealthy couple. They go outside. It's like a it's a developing nation that's made up for the purpose of this uh movie. And it's very dangerous outside the tourists, like the resort that they're at. But they go outside. Uh, the writer ends up killing a man and all sorts of trouble ensues. And if you think you know where it might go, you do not. It is a it is definitely a Cronenberg family project. <laughs> not that David had anything to do with it, but you know, it has this, it carries his spirit along with him. I love the yeah, idea. Partly that he- because it's funny. Yeah, like, it's very funny. Like people, I think who talk about how extreme it is have been missing that it's basically it's like funny. Yeah, uh-huh. this weird oddball comedy. I love the I mean, idea that David and Brandon are locked in this Oedipal complex where they're trying yeah. to outgross each other to yeah. be like the the patriarch of the Cronenbergs. And I I just want to point out like I feel like it's it's such a popular thing right now in popular media for. Uh, people to f- like the skewering of the rich to be a big yeah. part of it, but so often it also is tied in with like lifestyle porn, where it's like these rich people are assholes, but look at all this cool shit. And yeah. I feel like this movie does not give you that. Yeah, I mean, I would say that there's a certain beauty to it, but it's like that beautiful dread that you get in, like, if you like the vibes of this kind of thing, like some sick part of you might <laughs> want to visit, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, I want to be sick to my stomach but, for a while, but yeah, it does not, it does not glamorize any of that. And it, yeah, it's about, it is, it is about the wealthy. It is about, uh, 
seeking sensation when you've become desensitized. Mm, and in a weird way, yeah. it's about what it's like to go on a vacation. Yeah. Uh, it's it's about being, you know, like a seeker of the far reaches of mm-hmm. sensation. Okay, so what, I'm, so what I'm hearing is it's kind of like Hellraiser goes Hawaiian. Yeah, kind of. exactly. There you okay. go. That's actually not too far off. Uh, yeah, it was It was a blast. Also, I walked out of it. I'm like, that wasn't that weird. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, Stu, you're a skewed samples. Yeah, <laughs> that feels like yeah. normal style shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stu, no, it was great. Uh, on the, along the same lines, my recommendation is going to touch on that stuff. I'm recommending Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Another vacation throughout. Yeah, uh, it is. You know, obviously going to it like. I have a long, yeah, I've been following Guillermo del Toro's career for a long time. Um, and I was excited about the idea of a stop motion animation story. But honestly, I've seen so much Pinocchio shit lately. I'm kind of sick of it. But it is, it is so beautiful and it's so well told and like it's so human. And there's something about like the physicality of the stop motion stuff. I know all the ads are focusing on that, but like it is something to see the fucking like grain on the fucking resin figurines almost. Mm. And there's moments where you're watching it and you're like, how the fuck did they do this? Like there's a part where uh, uh, Geppetto's like kicks a balloon and it bounces around. I'm like, how the fuck do you animate this shit? It seems crazy. Um, And there's, it's so like, and the, there's a few songs in there and they feel so natural and beautiful when they show up. And it's it's fucking sad and great and fun. And it talks about, like, <laughs> fascist Italy. Uh, it's really great. And there's a, uh, there's, and if you watch on Netflix, there's also a beautiful making of, uh, which shows you a lot of that stuff. And then, of course, you can also, if you live in New York, uh, like I do, I was able to go to MoMA this week and check out the exhibit where you get to actually see some of the puppets that were used in the production. And it's so amazing. Uh, and it's it's a really beautiful, it's a really a beautiful work of art, like an amazing achievement. And uh, if you get a chance, it's on Netflix. You should watch it. It's great. I am going to recommend a different movie, which is okay. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm saying those movies are not good movies, just that I'm recommending a different movie. I took mm-hmm. it to myself yeah, okay. as a challenge. I don't take it as a slammer. Don't take this as a slam or a snub, just that I chose a different movie to recommend. Those movies, fine, great. Yeah, I mean, it's good that you want to recommend those. Yeah, 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 it's not like a baby. Baby slammer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just went (laughs) a different way. I took it as a challenge. I said, this movie is not a very good poker movie. What is a better Mm. poker movie? And so I decided a movie I like more about poker and gambling is California Split, directed by Robert Altman from 1974. So Elliot Gould is a professional gambler. He he befriends George Siegel, who's kind of a casual gambler who is sliding into addiction. And we're kind of with George Siegel as he his obsession grows in intensity and uh, just, it seems, irretrievability. And he essentially gambles himself out of the gambling lifestyle. Uh, and it's kind of a, it's a picture of two men's friendship that is an unhealthy friendship for both of them and how it starts and continues and ends. And... It's really good. There's funny moments in it. There's, ser- there's serious moments in it. They're they're both really great in it. Uh, and it has something to do with kind of real life. And it's not afraid to push its characters into kind of foolish or uncomplimentary situations or have them do unlikable things as opposed to Poker Face, which doesn't have the courage of its convictions and is afraid nope. to do those things. So if you want to see a movie about people really struggling with card playing and with gambling, but in an entertaining way, but in a way that's both entertaining and affecting – California Split. I know I'm going out on a limb here by recommending a Robert Altman movie to you guys, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, uh, give him a try. 
give him a try yeah. on this one. But that is one of the, I mean, like for I think because it was sort of hard to see for a while, it wasn't like available for a little while. That is one that doesn't get quite as much attention. I mean, it, it's now it does, but like, but it, it definitely it was for a long time. It was seen as definitely kind of second tier Altman. <laughs> yeah, but it but wasn't at the level of Nashville or something like that. You know. Yeah, but I mean, I that's one of my personal favorites. So it's great. I, I mean, it's co-sign. certainly. It's if see it before you see Doctor T and the women, you know, before you go to late stage Altman, you know. Yeah, well, and at this point, I would say see it before you see Mash, one of his biggest hits, which is oh, marred by a lot of bad stuff that, in general, isn't in Altman movies. But no, it doesn't work. Well, I think the well, yeah, Mash tapped into that uh into that spirit of rebellion of the '60s and '70s that took the form of extreme misogyny and racism. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was like where it was like and and we're homophobia. joking about it, so it's okay. It's okay. It's like isn't it? It's time for all of us, like white dudes, to be free and live free. And it's yeah, it doesn't like it doesn't golf age well. while we're anyway. I mean, I understand what's trying to say about the horrors of war and reaction to it, but it, yeah. it doesn't play as well anymore. Yeah. Um, now that we love war, it doesn't play as well. Yeah. Now mm-hmm. that we're like fucking into it. Like, <laughs> we love we'll just it. Yeah. Blow yeah, shit yeah, yeah. Up, Skulls man. for the skull throne, baby. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> this is on that a, ominous disquieting note. <laughs> weird way to end an episode. Hey, uh, if you like this show, why don't you go over to MaximumFun.org. We are part of the podcasting network, Maximum Fun. Comedy and culture, artist's own, listener supported. You'll hear it at the end of the episode. Uh, check out some other great <laughs> shows. a little preview. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler for the, the yeah, for the logo for the at the end. logo. Um, and uh, thank you to Howell Dottie, uh, Alex Smith is his real name. Uh, mm-hmm. You can find him under Howell Dotty on Twitter. And what does he do for us, Dan? He is our uh, producer, our editor. We've been talking to him about other things that maybe we can do to extend the brand. Who knows if they'll happen or not? But he's mm-hmm. a very talented, funny man in his own right. Check out what he's up to. Not at all. Not at all the scraggly uh, loser <laughs> that Stuart painted him as in the, in the Don't Worry Darling episode. <laughs> um, we got a little context. There, there was a <laughs> private joke between Stuart and Alex that, that made it a little more pleasant. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, and uh, thank you for listening. This has uh, been a treat. For the Flophouse, I've been Dan McCoy. Hey, it's me, your boy, Stuart. Wellington, that is. Good to see ya. <laughs> and I'm Elliot Kalin, waiting for Stuart's finish so I could say good day. Bye. Bye. Cranking it. I'm going to start recording. Yeah, is that what we're talking about? We're talking about cranking it? I spent it? so much money cranking it. I also, uh, I too would like to say that I'm recording. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to admit to spending a bunch of money cranking <laughs> that's, that's it. That's what I thought you were going to say, too, Dan. I mean, I sp- I've certainly spent money on related, uh, you know, materials. Uh-huh. Crank-adjacent. Yep. Devices. <laughs> uh, Memorabilias. Yeah. Mechanical devices, mainly. Yeah, yeah. yeah of course, yeah. Because... Because uh, you're all about cranking it with steam power. I am a traveler mm-hmm. on the outer realms of pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.